2: Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we are the Minimalists. And of course, we're here with Malabama. Hi,
3: everybody. TK
2: Coleman. Let's go. We got the rest of our team here in the studio as well. Jordan's here and Sean is here. Uh, Danny, unknown. Danny does Dallas. (laughs) One. Wait, he's, you're going to Dallas this week, right? See, Danny is doing Dallas Damn this week. Danny, Danny <laughs> oh <my undefeated>. goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Today, we're going to be talking a lot about clinging, y'all. We'll be checking in with the Patreon live stream mm-hmm. and having their questions thrown to us during this episode. But I thought we'd start with our callers today. If you have a question or a comment for our show, give us a call. 406-219-7839 or email a voice recording to podcast at TheMinimalists.com. Let us know that you're a Patreon subscriber so we can prioritize your message. Our first question today is from Gabby.
4: My name is Gabby. I was born and raised in San Francisco. I recently won a case to keep my rent controlled unit at $1,200 a month for a three bedroom unit in one of the most expensive cities in the world. Um, I have new landlords that try to raise the rent to about $5,000 a month. Um, so I've been battling a case that has lasted about a year and a half. I have back rent that is owed um, and I need help in deciding whether or not I should stay or if I should leave um, this household is also my childhood home that I grew up in. I am now 30 years old. I have experienced some childhood trauma here and also recent harassment from my landlords, which has been very stressful for me. I have sort of become a hoarder in the past year and I know that I need to let a lot of things go, including possibly uprooting and leaving and starting over uh, someplace new. More importantly, I have to decide if I want to negotiate a buyout or keep living here and possibly get a roommate and uh, make some money myself. I think it would be cool if you could do a YouTube video about this topic and give me some advice on how I can use minimalism in helping me navigate through this decision.
2: Gabby, I hear this unbearable weight in your voice. And I know that quite often, holding on to something that no longer serves us creates and amplifies that weight, makes it heavier. TK, where do you want to start with this one?
1: Yeah, you know, when I first heard Gabby say, I've got a lot of childhood memories here, I thought, oh man, this is going to be tough. This is going to be tough, you know, hard to leave those places behind. But then when you mentioned what kind of childhood memories those were, I thought, oh, it's going to be tough to keep staying there, you know? So how can minimalism help? Well, minimalism is about looking at all of your options, putting them on the table and assessing them in terms of how they relate to your highest values. One of the questions we talk about a lot on this show is those powerful three words compared to what? How do you see your life? How do you want to feel? And where are you now? And how does that relate to that To that answer to that question? So I think there are three questions to always ask. And that is the, the places where I am, the things I possess, um, are they taking me where I want to be? Are they anchoring me in some place I want to stay, or are they holding me back from some place I want to be? I'd start there. Um, you listed a few options, and I would I would highly encourage you to um, facilitate this decision making process by by kind of looking at what the possibilities are. So you mentioned, for instance, negotiating a buyout. Um, it sounds like. That's a thought in your mind, but no steps have been taken in that taken in that direction. I would maybe ask a few questions to see what does a buyout even look like, because you may find out some information that make you say, "Oh, hell no, I'm not I'm not agreeing to a buyout at that price." Mm-hmm. Or it might be a better deal than you might think. Another thing is, even if you decide to stay. There's nothing wrong with taking a look around at the options that exist right now. Sometimes it's hard to make a decision about leaving or staying if you have nothing to compare it to. So if you can get out there, take a look at some other options, you might find something at a at a feasible price that makes you say, hey, you know what? Being able to move into this place right now compared to staying around fighting and dealing with all this drama, it might help. But if you're just looking at it in the abstract, it's going to be really difficult to make a decision. And so I I would take a look at what my options are, ask some questions and get some of the insights that I need from that.
5: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there's a couple things going on. So she talked about being a little bit of a hoarder and she talked about this rent problem. Um, Speaking to the rent problem and the landlords, putting myself in your position, man, like you might win this case, which $1,200 a month for a three bedroom apartment in San Francisco is like hitting the lottery. That's crazy. Um, that's really awesome. If you win the case, though, the I can only imagine how petty <laughs> the landlords will start to be. So um, that's something to consider in the sense of like, you may win this case, but just know that the relationship that you're that you have with your landlord is going to be uh, a very um, contentious relationship. So, uh, yeah, what that's going to look like, I have no idea. As far as the horde goes, um, yeah, I mean, uh, start with the spontaneous combustion rule. I mean, there's there's a there's 16 rules that Josh and I wrote about. You could just pick one of them and kind of start there if you want to start. Um, uh, whittling down on your hoard. So the spontaneous combustion rule, you pick up any item in your house and you look at it and you ask yourself, hey, what would I do if this thing spontaneously combusted? And if your instant reaction is like, oh, I would feel so sad and I would have to go out and get another one or oh man, that thing is irreplaceable. And uh, yeah, I, I would really be devastated and then don't get rid of it. But if your thought is like, meh, I, don't know, I probably wouldn't replace it. Like that's a, a sign that you could probably let that thing go. If you do end up moving though, um that's a great time to really go through all your stuff. I'll tell you, um, yeah, I, I, the packing party is great. So you could bring everything to your new home and kind of unpack things as you need it. But I'll be honest, like getting rid of the stuff while you're packing it up is so much easier. Um, Mariah and I have started to use this rule. Um, and you might've talked about this before. Is there a space for it? Hmm. so it's like we got um we went to sedona and we got some crystals you know as as, as you do in sedona
2: <laughs> it's the wall
5: <laughs> sedona arizona it's the law if you leave without crystals you're not allowed back <sighs> no uh her her uh there's a friend of the fa- a friend of her family's that works at a crystal shop we went there beautiful stuff like amazing amazing crystals and she gave us like some gifts but like they just are kind of like sitting and i'm like hey can we get rid of these and mariah's like no i you know i really like the crystals and you know we'll Use them someday. I'm like, is there a space for them like right now where we can put them to like display them? Mm. And uh, we've kind of been approaching conversations that way.
2: Um, yeah. I like this. Is there a home for your things yeah. in your new home? Oh yeah, that's good. If you're going to be moving, and so in a way, you're doing a packing party twice. You're you're actually using some of those rules, the seasonality rule, the. The 2020 rule, the just in case rule, mm-hmm. the spontaneous combustion rule, maybe you're doing the 30 day minimalism game, which, by the way, you can download that free ebook. It's 16 rules for living with less. We call it the minimalist rule book, the dot com slash rule book. Anyway, you can do that as you're packing everything up, but then when you get to the new place, it's like a second chance to go through these things again. It's almost like this. I have a reverse osmosis filter on my water at home, and it's not just one filter. It has multiple filters, right? And you're doing this with your stuff. You're the first Mm. filter is using some of these boundaries, these rules that you set up for yourself. And by the way, when TK and Ryan and I call them rules, they're not really rules. They are boundaries that are adjustable for your life. So seasonality for you, might be 120 days or it might be 30 days. You get to pick the boundary that's appropriate mm-hmm. for you. Let me say this, though, Gabby, because you're going through a really difficult time and there's an unbearable weight that if you continue to carry it, will just become more and more unbearable. Here's the good news. You've learned something about yourself throughout this process. You've learned to bear the unbearable. Ooh, yeah. It feels as though, oh, I couldn't do this anymore. But at this point, it's no longer serving you. You're going to have to make a difficult decision. yeah. But here's the thing about a difficult decision. It's not actually that difficult when you put it here on the table. Here's what you're choosing between. You can have lots of certainty and misery if you stay where you are right now. Or you can let go. You can have some uncertainty. But in that uncertainty, you can find the joy in your new life. You can only do that by letting go. It's true that, this home may have once served you when you were a child and even last year, maybe it served you really well. Mm-hmm. When I was 22 years old, I got my dream job. I have nightmares about that job today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Well, the reason I have nightmares about it is because I outgrew it. I got to an ending and I continued to hold on to it. And that dream job turned into a nightmare on a long enough timeline All of our dreams, if we cling to them, they turn into nightmares. And that's why we're talking today about the pain of clinging. Before we started recording, Ryan said, but the inverse of that is the joy of letting go. There's the joy within the uncertainty. We call it the fear of missing out, but really Mm. it's the joy of missing out. Here's the truth, Gabby. You're never going to go back to the way things were. That's the lie of nostalgia. You got what you needed out of this place, but you can't possibly go back. You won't continue getting what you once got from it. That's a lie. If you keep driving, staring in the rear view, you are going to crash. Yeah, I love what you brought up about
5: your dream job because what happened was the same thing that happened to me where you're so attached, you're clinging to that paycheck, that like really, really big salary. And if you're clinging to it just because of the financial piece of it, um, you can only hold on so long. And if your only reason, Gabby, for staying in that apartment is because it's so cheap, if that's the only reason, um, I think you could probably hold on for only so long.
1: Yeah. And, you know, even with respect to the certainty, I don't even know if that's present. You know, staying where you are and having some certainty because you've got the back rent to pay. You've got the uncertainty of how the case is going to unfold, the uncertainty about how long this is going to go. Anytime we say we want something, we should always ask ourselves, um, how much pain am I willing to bear in order to have what it is I want? So I might want something, but that doesn't mean I'm willing to wait around for an hour for it or Mm -hmm. a year for it. So how long are you willing to fight? That might be something worth thinking about. Mm -hmm. If this court case drags on for five years, six years, seven years, is that worth it? Because by the time you kind of know what's going on, mm-hmm. part of your life is over. You can't get that time back. So those are some important things to think about. Absolutely.
5: Like if you don't have a plan, if you don't have like a, a plan B or plan A, like right now she's in limbo. So I could see where after a year and a half being in limbo, how frustrating it is. So um, yeah, the the, the be, maybe the best place to start for you, Gabby, is to start forming a plan as if you were to move. Um, and at least... Yeah, at least look at something different, but no plan at all and in limbo. Like that's definitely uh, that's going to be pretty miserable.
2: Letting go is difficult, Gabby. Letting go is so difficult. But you know what is more difficult? Holding on to something that is dragging you in a direction in which you don't want to travel. And that's what's happening right now. You're holding on to something from the past and it's no longer serving you. And if you hold on tightly and you're unwilling to let go, whether it's a material possession, it's a childhood home, it is a memory, it is a relationship. If you're holding on, you're simply going to get dragged. Gabby, I'd love to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains, coming up on the 10-year anniversary, Ryan. Oh, my goodness. We moved to a cabin in the middle of nowhere in 2012 to write the first draft of this. It came out January 1st of 2014. And in this book, Everything That Remains, it's really the story of me and Ryan letting go of our past and the difficulties of letting go of that past and getting dragged in directions we didn't necessarily know we were going to get dragged and getting dragged in directions we didn't want to get dragged in. Mm -hmm. Letting go of this corporate career, letting go of our homes, letting go of our material possessions, letting go of our identities. This book is ultimately about letting go of your identity so you can form the identity of the person you want to become. Because right now your past is the enemy of your future. Mm. And so, let's send you a copy of everything that remains. If you like our podcast, I think you'll enjoy the audio book version of that book. or if you want the book book or the ebook version, we'd we'll be happy to send those to you as well. Our next question is from Kim. My name is Kim. I'm from Texas. I'm a
0: patreon. Um, Thank you so much, TK, for openly speaking about your faith and your conversion to Catholicism. It really spoke to me because I was raised Catholic, but later in college, found myself drawn to Protestant services. Currently, I'm in a season where I am curious about Jesus' identity as a Jew. I wonder how have you reconciled his identity as a Jewish man with Catholicism and Catholic rituals? I always wonder why some Christian denominations have taken out Jewish traditions when Jesus practiced these traditions himself. Um, Jesus didn't celebrate Easter, but I'm sure he observed Passover. So I wonder why as Christians, we we don't do the same if we aspire to to be like Christ. Um, so I would appreciate your thoughts. Um, if you've read any articles or books that have really expanded your your knowledge on this topic, I would really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for the shout out. I appreciate it. And peace be the journey with your pursuit of truth and the uh, deconstruction of your faith. Um, Without really getting into the weeds, I would say, you know, one connection there is that um, a lot of what you see in the liturgy actually has its roots in the ancient Jewish faith. Um, So everything from uh, the emphasis on the physical aspects of things, right? But also many of the sayings or the the concept of the Eucharistic sacrifice, like um, a lot of Catholics, they'll go to mass and they'll they'll have this this moment where they go to receive communion. But but that's actually a representing of the Eucharistic sacrifice, which is a shout out to the Passover uh, and a shout out to the sacrifice itself. You know, which is why they say in the mass. words that John the Baptist says to Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. That's a nod to the Old Testament practice of the sacrifice. Um, I I could recommend a few sources if you kind of want to dig deeper into the connections there. One of my favorite authors on a lot of these topics from a Catholic perspective would be Brant Petra. It's spelled P-I-T-R-E. And he has a lot of books that begin with The Jewish Roots of... And he talks about some aspect of the Catholic faith, the Jewish roots of Mary, the Jewish roots of the Eucharist, and so on. There's even one that's uh, called, the, uh, and it's not by Brent himself, but it's called the Jewish roots of the, the priesthood. And so there's a lot of material out there that talks about those connections for anybody that's interested in exploring. But um, you could feel free to email me directly if you kind of want to chat about any of the stuff. I can, I've got a number of different YouTube playlists that kind of delve into that as well. Um, so yeah, that'll, that'll be all I say on that. Mm. I think that one thing to think about
2: here is when we're talking about identity, yep. and I think we were talking about this with Gabby's question, the last question as well, sometimes what happens is we hold on to an identity so much that we cling to it and it becomes the root of our suffering and it's also the root of societal clutter. Mm. And so when... Kim is asking about Jesus's identity. I don't know that he necessarily thought about it in those terms as well. I mean, obviously not in English terms, but the idea of this is who I am as a person and Mm. it's fixed and it's static or uh, as opposed to it is dynamic and Mm -hmm. I am forever changing. And my willingness to change my identity is the thing that makes sure that I'm not stuck in the past. I'm not cluttered with these rituals from the past. It was Jed McKenna who talks about tradition, and when he talks about tradition, he, he says, uh, uh, tra- "Tradition is an un it, sticking to tradition is an unwillingness to uh, observe the past. And so you're just holding on to tradition is one thing. Traditions can be really useful if you find them useful. You mentioned the liturgy or- earlier, yeah. and so the word religion even comes from the same Latin root as the word Ligament, which means to bind together. So religion means to bind together. And and so if we are binding together in a sense that we're coming together as a community, then I can form an identity there. But if I'm bound by that community, if I'm bound by that identity, and now I'm no longer allowed to leave unless I think, act, and speak like everyone else in the community, well, then it becomes a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's I, I just went on this wild thought when you were talking about the dynamic
5: uh way of identifying oneself. So, Jesus was a was a Jew. Uh he never said he was a Christian. It, Christianity is something that people put together to worship Jesus, right? And it's and me thinking about what I know about the Bible which um uh I a lot of it has kind of gone out the window. But the one thing I do know is Jesus did talk about living like him, like he was this example mm-hmm. to, 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 uh, as, 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 a role model, right. But he never said to worship him. He talked about worshiping his father all the time. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we have taken someone who really never wanted to be worshiped. We've put them on a pedestal mm-hmm. and we've created a whole religion around it called Christianity mm-hmm. that. You saying that I'm like oh the whole point of not the whole point but one of the main points I got from Jesus's story is that hey, um, I'm I'm being myself I'm being a loving person I'm being caring I'm looking out for others I'm being inclusive I'm not being exclusive and I'm going out of my way to show you how to how to you know serve the Father mm-hmm. and it it's I don't know like I think if Jesus were alive today he would look at it and be like wait a minute. Like you guys are worshiping me. You you created a whole religion around me. <laughs> like all I wanted you to do was like be your genuine, authentic, loving self. Because what we've done with uh with, with with this religion now is like it's it's been weaponized in a lot of ways. Um, not, not I'm not calling saying that you've weaponized Christianity, TK. Please don't take it that way.
2: But you know, at its at its worst, it is being weaponized. So I um, think TK would. I obviously recognize that as well. Any sort of idea that gets turned into an ideology mm-hmm. can be used to help people or it can be used to batter people.
1: Yeah, right. And, and, and that includes the idea that Jesus is God. There are people like myself who believe that he is, who don't believe in um, uh, initiating violence against people, who don't believe in bum-rushing people and forcing a belief on them, yeah. who respect free will, who respect voluntary choice and peace and things along those lines, and who can engage in critical and charitable dialogue, mm-hmm. um, it, it's 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 debatable, right? So like, it means something to be a Christian and it means something to not be a Christian. And Jesus definitely didn't identify himself as a Christian, but that's because Christian just means follower of Jesus. It's yeah. sort of like saying, Socrates never identified with being a student of Socrates, mm-hmm. of course, right? You know, yeah. like uh, you, you need somebody who comes after him, who follows his way. Uh, the earliest Christians were actually mm-hmm. called just followers of the way because Jesus referred to himself as the way. But, you know, like w- w- with the broader point of like identity though, um, there are a lot of great um, stories from from the life of Christ, like the good Samaritan, the woman at the well, Jesus showing love to the tax collectors, oh, yeah. Jesus defending the adulterous woman who the religious leaders at that time were ready to stone mm-hmm. and offering people this invitation to be more than their past, to be free from the sins and shortcomings and sufferings of their past to have a new life. And I think when it comes to identity, that's that's the message that's there for us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can be more than what we have been. Um, and in the same way that you have like, a, I mean, I, 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 I at least look at it this way in that story of Jesus transforming the water into wine, that that it also symbolizes the possibility for transformation in our own lives and areas where we have not been enough, we can become something that is beautiful and that can be of great service to the world. So I think that's a kind of a tie-in when it comes to identity. But hey, I appreciate the shout out on this question. I received that love. um, Talking about one's religion... Uh, is 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 very challenging and difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people that appreciate it. There are people that don't appreciate it. I try to be respectful whenever we have the discussions and invite dialogue about differences and so on. So thank you for mm-hmm. appreciating it. And uh, feel free to hit me up if you want to dive into the weeds on any of those topics. And I've given you some resources to check out if you're interested in knowing more about the Jewishness of Jesus, which I love is it. a very beautiful topic. I love it. Yeah.
5: And it makes me think like it doesn't matter what religion you are, it's when you put yourself on a pedestal. And it's hard not to do that because people sometimes turn to Christianity, for example, uh, because they live such a rough life and they use the the teachings of the Bible and Jesus to get out of whatever situation they're in. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, they're living a good life. Yes, and then, and now they're on the pedestal, like oh, now i 'm better than mm-hmm. and they um start to push that onto other people. I love that you brought up the tax collectors. Do you know the story of the tax collectors mm-hmm. yeah, so Jesus basically um, was eating with the tax collectors. And they're like, how dare you? Like, these are the tax. And he's like, these are the people we need to have dinner with. Yeah. And I don't see that a lot in, um, in Christianity. And that is, uh, I think that is where the mistake is made instead of like taking examples like that and going out of our way to help people that we 100% do not agree with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Instead of inviting them to dinner, we judge them Mm -hmm. and, um, uh yeah and it's and it's just another example of it being weaponized
2: and when, when we yeah. judge them we cease to see them
5: yes and yeah.
2: What happens when we cease to see the other person, we cease to see the humanity in them. Mm -hmm. And then we begin hurling insults and further judgments. And what happens is I cling tighter to my dogma and that creates more pain. The thing you're talking about, that's not relegated to Christians. That's vegans. It's carnivores. It's any sort of dogma. However, I love what TK said. He was talking about the appreciation here because... Ryan, TK, and I all have different religious, spiritual, and political beliefs. Mm-hmm. And yet we can have conversations about these things. Why? because we appreciate the different perspectives. Mm -hmm. This morning, I was listening to a sermon from our friend, Erwin Raphael McManus, who's been on the podcast a few times. He was in our last Netflix film as well. And I was also listening to Alan Watts talk about the Hindu Upanishads, right? And so I can look at these ancient wisdom traditions and say, I don't need to completely conform to any of this. So if you're listening to this say, why the hell are these guys talking about religion today? (laughs) No, no, it's deeper than that. Yeah. We're talking about the appreciation of different historical worldviews, and if you can get something from Catholicism, from Judaism, from Hinduism, from veganism, whatever whatever, it ha- it ha- whatever is. your ism is, without clinging so
1: tightly that you
2: cease to see others, yeah. well, then you love. That's how you love the world around you. Mm. That's yeah, right,
1: dude. And so, so we can ask that question: Who is the tax collector? in my life? yeah. Who is the leper and the adulterous woman in my life? Mm-hmm. For some people, it might be the non-religious person who doesn't share your religious beliefs. For other people, it might be the religious person that you're inclined to stereotype mm-hmm. because of some different religious person that might have said something hurtful or hateful to you in the past. We all have our versions of those people that are difficult to love because they are different from us, or because they remind us of somebody that's that hurt us, mm-hmm. that wounded us. And so we all have that challenge to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. Another question here. This one is
2: from Hannah.
0: This is Hannah from Oak Harbor, Washington. I was wondering if you guys had any advice about how to incorporate my minimalist lifestyle into shopping for food and the food I eat.
2: Well, I think this applies to food. I think it applies to clothes. I think it applies to kitchen utensils. I think it applies to furniture. I think it also applies to relationships and career and to your meetings and your calendar. To identify the clutter, first determine the essentials. Mm. If you don't know what's essential in your life, you're going to think everything is essential. If you can't understand what adds value to your life, you're just gonna assume anything that looks slightly pleasurable is adding value to your life. Don't mistake ephemeral pleasure For adding value to your life, quite often the things that are most pleasurable to us, the ecstatic pleasures of life, could get in the way of us living our lives. Mm. It's the reason we see so many rock stars die by age 27, because they mistook the ephemeral pleasures, the pleasure of the moment, the peaks, the apex, the highs, whether it's being on stage or it's doing drugs or it's having sex or it's making all of these material purchases, it's buying, 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 consuming, consuming, consuming without even questioning, is this essential? So if you want to identify the clutter because you want to get rid of the clutter, the clutter is simply whatever is in the way, you must first identify what is essential, for you mm. in addition to that just practically i would go back and take a look at our uh, we just did an episode about food clutter with dr paul saladino and what an outstanding episode that was we'll put a link to that in the show notes over at com slash podcast so you can find that episode and you can devour the whole thing
5: my uh 25-year-old self really felt attacked there for a second, Josh. Whoa, why?
2: <laughs> when he was talking about the uh, pernicious lifestyle of a rock and roll star. <laughs> <laughs> well, New York Magazine
1: did call you an aging rock guitarist.
2: it's the It's the best <laughs> worst compliment I've ever gotten.
1: <laughs> it, it, it it sounds like somebody, who the person who wrote that, Thought he was cute, but yeah. they didn't want to give him too much credit. Because <laughs> that's what Rockstar says, right? <clears throat> that person thought he was cute, but they like had to throw a little shade it's in there. It's the hair. It is funny when Josh <laughs> and I, uh,
5: when we were on the road in 2014, um, I got asked a lot like, oh, are you guys part of a band?
2: Are yeah. you guys in a band? This happened the other week in Nashville. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, We, we were with uh, a pastor friend of ours, Adam, and he's really tall and really handsome. So he looks like the lead singer of our band. Yeah. I, I think I just played the cowbell. And <laughs> Perfect. No, you're the pr- you're the producer. You're the producer, and then I would be I would be the uh, aging guitarist. But yeah, we, we were at a restaurant. We we're getting some barbecue, and this uh, this girl she was super nice. then she comes, she goes, "So, what band are you guys in?" <laughs> I'm like. No, oh,
5: we no. should do. We should come up with a, like we did for you, me, and Colin because we got that question. Oh, uh, yeah. Love by proxy was our our band name. Oh, yeah, this one should be cowbell if someone asks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> ask us again. Anyway, let's get back. Let's get back to the food thing though, because uh, may- when she asked this question, it made me think about um, you and the list, Josh, wow. about how. So Josh goes to the grocery store.
2: He has his list of items. Oh, yeah. And that's what he gets. And this is how I identify clutter versus essential, yeah. right? Because if it is not on my list, mm-hmm. I determine it's clutter. Mm. And therefore, I don't buy it. Even if I was actually at the grocery store this morning because I drive down here really, really early. I had to pick up a few things. Mm-hmm. And I had two things on my list, literally. Mm-hmm. And as I'm headed to the checkout, guess what? Oh, those mangoes look so delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are not on my list. And so even if I really want those mangoes, what I'll do is I have to, I go home, I'll put them on my list, and I will get them next time. I will create some inconvenience. I'll Mm -hmm. create some friction in my life. Not because I can't afford the mangoes, not because it'd be evil or bad to get those mangoes, but because for me, it's a slippery slope. And before I know it, now there are four extra things in my cart, or 14 extra things in my cart. And now all of a sudden, I... Weigh a little bit more than I want to weigh. I'm eating more in a day that I want to eat, and it's all because if I made one little eh, oh, compromise here and I oh, compromise here, and then before I know it, my life is comprised of compromise. I know that's not grammatically correct, Ooh. Sean. Yeah. Yeah. But that it right. good, yeah, that was good though. That was good. I don't know. Was that a needless variant?
3: <laughs> you could say it comprises compromises.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: My life is composed of compromises, would be the grammatically correct way to say that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hey, you know, um, it's funny, man, because I, I even hear it in us in the way we talk about rules. We never say the word rule without qualifying it and letting people know that it's not really a rule, right? It's just kind of wordplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can be flexible with it. And I, I, I think while it's important to speak to a culture, that is afraid to be legalistic, I think it's equally important to affirm the beauty, the value and the power of giving yourself permission to just stick with something. Mm. You can't see where a thing is going to lead. You can't learn from a new technique If you don't just give yourself permission to stick with it for a while, to be a rule follower for a while, you can do just about anything for a week Mm -hmm. or for 30 days, for a couple of weeks. Just pick a time and say, this is the strategy I'm going to try out. And even when it's inconvenient, I'm not going to give myself permission to abandon it because I really want to see where it leads. I I really want to try it on. And then at the end of that time, that seven days, that two weeks, that 30 days, you say, I really didn't like those inconveniences. I don't want them to be a part of my life. All right, cool. Let it go. But now, you know, Mm -hmm. but so many times we let things go before we know because we're always giving ourselves that permission to opt out. And that's what I like about your your, your rule of saying, I'm going to write down what I'm going to get from the grocery store and I won't mm. buy anything that's not on my list. Yeah, you can. But what if I really, really need something? Okay, sure. You can play the game that way. But how about playing the game the other way too? Mm-hmm. Saying for 30 days, I'm going to do it like this. Mm. You'll learn something about yourself.
5: Yeah. And yeah. maybe th- uh, you said um, how we adjust the rules, how, how we make them specifically so people can adjust them. And my mind went to like, how do you adjust this rule that we're talking about? I've got one. I got one too. Go for it. (laughs) So I was thinking um, if you have like a kid, for example, and you know that that kid is always asking for something at the checkout line because that's what the grocery stores do and any other store. um, Maybe you do want to allow your child to get like one thing. So you could do your list and then have like one miscellaneous object one miscellaneous item and like you allow yourself one miscellaneous item or something like that. But yeah, it is like, you absolutely yep, can't yes.
2: adjust any of these rules that we talk about. Uh, what was your idea? It's very similar to that okay. is pick a number. Mm. And and so it's how many exceptions do you want to have? And then you just simply have a space on your list for exception yeah. number one and exception number two. I wouldn't do it with kids because I want to teach them about the burden of impulse. Sure. Mm-hmm. And how that. Impulse can become a prison for us Mm -hmm. when all of a sudden I need it and I need it now. Mm -hmm. That becomes my own prison. Yeah, I've I've constructed this prison cell out of bars built with impulse. Mm. And so what I want to do with my daughter is show her that it's okay to go without. Mm-hmm. And when we get home, we can put it on the list for next time. If you remember, you have to remind me. Yes. So she has to hold on to it. I don't have to hold on. Yeah, to it. absolutely, yeah. man. Yeah, it's it's
5: a, definitely a balance. I want to take this a little bit further, a little bit deeper with like, how do you come up with that list? So I know some people... Uh, I know that they're probably listening to this and they're like, I don't even know how I'd, I would go about writing a, an intentional list. I mean, that's how you use minimalism with this. It's like you, you do it deliberately. Mm-hmm. So you write down the list of food. Mm-hmm. But then the question is like, where do you get that list from? So, yeah. so I mean, for me, I think about when we had that, uh, Josh and I w- uh, were vegan on a bet Um, I went uh, a year. He went 11 months, I believe. That's right. Still owes me a dollar. But uh, I remember like looking into it. I'm like, oh, like I can't even do honey. So like I had to like really write down before I went to the store, like, okay, what items am I going to get when I'm at the grocery store? So um, it might take a little research first. Like what? You know, what is the diet you want to plan for? And everybody's going to be a little bit different, um, but that could really help you put a list together. Any other thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think that episode we did with Saladino on food clutter is a great place to start for two for reasons. Sure. One is he talks about the four foods to avoid. These types of foods I know are clutter, right? Seed oils was one of them. And that's one I've, so I know that nothing on my list can, it can include these four Ingredients, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Also, what are the four foods that I really want to incorporate more of in my diet? It doesn't mean you have to exclusively do that. But what if eighty percent of my diet is built around these four types of foods? Oh, now that informs mm-hmm. my list. Yeah. I can have things other than that on here, as long as
1: I'm excluding the things I know are clutter. That is a great place to start. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing I, I just want to say is, you can be intentional and have exceptions if you're intentional about your exceptions. Sometimes when we try a new strategy or rule, we're so afraid of those inevitable moments where an exception might have to be allowed that we abandon the, the rule altogether and say, all right, I'm just gonna yield completely to impulses. But you don't have to be impulsive in order to make an exception. You can think ahead of time about the kinds of exceptions you want to allow. So with the grocery list strategy, you can say, I only buy what I write down, however, I give myself the permission ahead of time to get two items if I don't think of them until I see them on the shelf. This is the way I want to eat. But I also know that when the birthday comes up or this anniversary comes up, I'm going to want to make one or two exceptions. So I give myself the permission ahead of time to make an exception on these kinds of days. Mm -hmm. When you're intentional about your exceptions, you allow room for improvisation without being a slave to impulse.
5: Two is too much. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not handing out a minimalist certificate if, you're, if you have two
2: miscellaneous items on your list. <laughs> I was just teaching Elle about homonyms recently. Two, two, and two. Right, right, and write. You can join How to Write Better if you want to learn more about it. <laughs> <laughs> We've got another question here. This one is from Alex.
4: Hi, my name is Alex. I'm calling from Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. How do you minimize
0: impulse
2: urgent. Can you just stop? Can you just stop buying things impulsively?
4: Mm.
2: Well, how do you let go? Letting go is not something you do. It's something you stop doing. Now, what does that mean? Do you stop purchasing the impulse purchases? Yes. And Mm. over time, what does that mean? (laughs) The impulse has less of a tug. We were just talking to Hannah a moment ago about developing a boundary and not going outside that boundary with her grocery list, Mm -hmm. right? But you can apply that boundary to anything because here's what happens. When I go to the grocery store now, I am not pulled in a million different directions because my boundaries are clear. When I go to the grocery store, even the really fancy one down the street, I know that 90% of the things they have there, cannot go into my cart ever because mm-hmm. they contain the four foods that I refuse to eat. I've set up that boundary. I've already said no. Mm-hmm. And if you get good at saying no, 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 what does that do? It reinforces your boundary to to the point where it's no longer a linguistic exercise. It is a internal feeling. Mm-hmm. I know when I walk into the grocery store, like at first it was miserable, right? Because everything in here, I want it. Impulse. yeah. I would love to eat this. It looks so delicious. But now it's freeing. I walk in the grocery store and say, huh, this isn't food mm. for me. Mm-hmm. This isn't my food. I can't take this home. And therefore the impulse is gone. Let me, let me see what you guys think about this.
5: So when it comes to impulse, is it something that we want to do? completely away with? Like if I had a magic wand and I said, hey, I could wave this and get rid of all your impulse urges, like would you, would you like ask me to wave that wand? Depends what you mean by impulse here, right? And so, so so any action taken based off of a, an immediate desire that, an in the moment desire that well, is overtaking
1: you. You're asking about the urge. Would we get rid of the urge?
5: Yeah, would you get rid of the impulse? Like when you're in the, like any impulse, you're in the checkout line, uh, you have an impulse to buy that candy bar, um, you are uh, getting ready to, um, I, I don't know, you're going out to lunch and someone's like, hey, come right. out to lunch. You didn't really plan to go out to lunch, but you're like, oh, we're going to go ahead and do it and spend the money on there. Yeah. Because when I think about it, I'll just take this a different direction. Um, wh- when I think about it, it's really about, managing those impulses. Because I would, I would say that there are times in our lives where the impulse isn't necessarily a bad thing. The problem is our filter, when we get these impulses, like we don't have a very good filter. So doing things like you're saying with the rules and kind of putting boundaries up for ourselves might be a very good way to, um, to, to catch those impulses. A great filter are the questions to ask before you buy something.
2: Yeah, yeah, we have a free wallpaper. You can download theminimalists.com slash wallpapers. There's seven of them there, but one of them is the, the five questions to ask before buying. And Ryan, I like where you're going with that because it is true that at first, you have to do something to manage the impulse. Mm-hmm. But once you have done it enough, the idea is to eliminate the impulse for me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've done with my grocery list, I've effectively eliminated it. It's like if you go to a doctor and your doctor says, oh, you have cancer, you're not going to say, how do I manage this cancer? Mm. It's How do I eliminate this? I want a abiding cure that eliminates this cancer. And for me, the impulse is a type of desire, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not against all desire. I don't think desire is a bad thing. I also don't think impulse is a bad thing. And by the way, cancer is also not a bad thing. It's the way the body is working to heal itself sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? And so uh, understanding that impulse by itself is not an inherently bad thing. Anthony DeMello talks about the two types of desires. There's a desire, I have to have it. And Mm -hmm. if I don't get it, think about it. My daughter when she was just a couple of years old and she really wanted something at the grocery store, I have to have it if not there's going to be a tantrum, right? Mm-hmm. If I don't get it, the world is on fire. Mm. This is what Peter Rollins calls object A, right? Yeah, I will do anything right now to get this. Mm. That's when impulse is at its worst. That's when it's at its ugliest. Yeah. The other desire is like, oh yeah, I want that. But if I don't get it, I'm fine.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I could wave a magic wand to eliminate all of my desires and cravings, I would never do that. Right. That would be self-stultifying. Yeah. You know, Um, I I think there's a distinction between desire and the intellectual judgments we make about what's going to satisfy that desire. Mm -hmm. Desire is a visceral craving or longing for something. But we have a lot of these snap judgments and decisions we make about what's going to satisfy that. So if I see a donut or a Snickers bar, That visceral sensation of hunger combined with the judgment of that's the best way to satisfy this hunger is what makes me go, I got to have that donut right Mm -hmm. now or I'm going to die. Now, that's not true. And people who exercise the discipline necessary to sort of reorder their appetites and and redirect their attention, they find themselves in a position where they say, man, I used to crave donuts all the time, but now the thought of it makes me want to throw up. I'd rather have some strawberries or some blueberries, right? Because they've developed a different set of opinions about what's going to satisfy that visceral craving Mm. based on experience, the exercise of discipline and so on. So I don't think our desires are bad, our cravings are bad. It's the way we're conditioned to respond to them that often needs a little bit of retraining and soothing.
5: Yeah. You said the word discipline there, which makes me want to say something like, it's not about like getting rid of all your impulse urges. It's really about like how much discipline are you applying in your life? I think Josh would probably disagree with that statement because the discipline, I mean, am I right about that? Yeah. I mean, discipline just doesn't work for me. Right. So the reason being is, is that, and I like this where it's like when you understand why you don't want to have those impulse purchases and you are truly connected with that why, mm-hmm. the discipline follows. Like you don't need yeah. to have discipline. Like you just automatically become disciplined. One second. Yeah. So for me, the thing I really want to recommend to Alex here is like get clear on why you don't want to make those impulse purchases and find a way to constantly remind yourself why. Because that is when we give into those impulses, is when we our why is kind of in the ether somewhere. We're not really focused on it. Yes. And something comes up and we don't remind ourselves and we just go for it because of the impulse. And then later we're like, oh yeah, I told myself I
2: wouldn't. So the question is like, how can you keep that in front of your mind? How can you stay focused on that why? Yeah. I just need to expand yeah. on that really quickly so that people, when they hear me say like, oh, this, he must be a really undisciplined person. <laughs> I think if you were to hook a GoPro up to me and follow me around for 24 hours, you would think I'm the most disciplined person that you've ever met. Yeah. And, and the reason being is because discipline doesn't work for me. Mm. However, Ryan articulated beautifully. What he just said is that Discipline ends up being a byproduct of the why. If you understand why you're doing what you're doing, you don't need a bunch of how to's and hacks or because you'll figure out the way. Yes. I was in the ice bath at 4 a.m. this morning. I don't prescribe that to anyone. I don't think you should do that. In fact, I think if most people did it, they would end up being miserable. It'd probably ruin many people's day. <laughs> and so it's not a prescription, but for me, that I have a why behind yeah. that, right? Mm-hmm. And I have a why, why I write. For at least an hour a day, every day. I have a why about coming in here and doing the podcast, and I understand why I'm doing that. And so it makes me look disciplined, even mm. though, like, I don't ever do things out of discipline. Like, oh, I guess I have to do this sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we agree. Uh, we just use different language to describe it. I think discipline, as it's probably most conventionally used, does amount to something like I'm going to force myself to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to push myself to do something that I'm not really feeling. And 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 I believe that discipline in the absence of a why without a compelling vision is only going to last so long. Right. I, I like to think about discipline in terms of building momentum in a new direction, right? You You may know that you want something, but you just don't have the habit of doing it. And so when you begin to make choices in that new direction, you feel the inertia of old habits and old ways. And sometimes it takes a conscious effort to say, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna push in this direction, but you're doing it for you because you know that it's something that you want. Here is one little suggestion I'll give about this question directly. Maybe if you're looking at something that you want to impulse by, you can you can still do something impulsively. While building in the conditions that can uh, protect you from buying things that you don't want or that you might regret later, you can take a picture of it, send a text to a friend like Josh and say, hey, I love this new uh, new purse. I love this new dress. I love this new necklace. Thinking about getting it, but I'm going to give myself three days before I can buy it. Keep me accountable. Yeah,
2: yeah. You Actually, you can yeah. do that to me on Twitter as well. If if you, I have oh, people yeah. do this all the time, I'm I, I, this impulse I, to buy this thing. Should I buy it? And I'm like, well, let's let's talk about it, right? Yeah. Because an impulse turns into an impulse purchase only if you act on the impulse. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have the impulse. What you're really going to beat yourself up about is acting on that impulse purchase. Yeah, Let's check in with, uh, well, actually, we'll check in with the Patreon live stream here in a moment. But first, let's tune in to some social media questions. Malabama Sarah from YouTube has a question for us.
3: I'm trying to deal with angry outbursts from my female boss over really silly things or misinterpreted issues that make it feel impossible to communicate with her. Mm. Do I have to tolerate this? Or should I just start looking for a new job?
2: Sarah, here's what I'll say to you. You encourage whatever you tolerate. Mm -hmm. It's okay to tolerate someone, but if all you're doing is tolerating someone else's bad behavior, someone else's anger, someone else's outrage, someone else's meanness or pettiness, Mm -hmm. if you're tolerating that, you're actually
1: encouraging it. Yeah, if, you know, should I tolerate it? My my brain was screaming, no, no. I mean, if, if tolerate means, hey, I'm just going to accept that this is how it's going to be. I can't alter the outcomes. I can't influence the situation. I can't fight for myself. I have no rights or responsibilities to myself. No, by all means, don't tolerate that. It sounds like this is emotionally or verbally inconsiderate at best Mm. behavior. And I would encourage you to not tolerate that. So uh, as far as should I look for a new job? I I think there's, I don't think it's ever wrong to look for a new job. Just don't announce it. Mm -hmm. Just don't tell everybody that's what you're doing. But I don't think it's ever wrong to take a look at what's going on out there because you never know. You never know what opportunities might beat the one that you're currently in. So, you know, feel free to put some feelers out there and see what's going on. But I also would try to have a conversation with that boss and I would make it a point to not have that conversation in one of those heated moments And I would make it a point to not ask for the conversation at the same time that I want it. I would send an email and I would say, I would like to have a conversation. I would state the amount of time I would like to have the conversation for, and I would leave it in the boss's court to choose when a time is convenient for them because I would be so interested in my own agenda here that I want to make it as convenient as possible for them to help and support and hear me. And then when I have them in that time, I will say, hey, look, No judgment about right and wrong here, but there are some things that are happening that are making me feel unconsidered, unsafe in my workspace. I feel like I'm being evaluated for reasons other than my work. I feel like sometimes criticisms of my work are being personalized in a way that doesn't seem fair. Here are some specific examples. Here's what I would prefer instead. I'm willing to hear what you have to say, but I would be doing you and me both a misservice if I didn't honestly present this to you in an effort to try to make it work. And I would see what that boss has to say. And if that boss is inconsiderate for that, I think that's your answer. You got to get out of there. Mm -hmm. If a boss can't have that conversation, I I, I wouldn't know what to do in that type of situation, right? Like you got to start looking for other opportunities. You don't want to work for anybody that can't even respect you enough to hear you say something like that.
5: Yeah. 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 Man, Sarah, I know that you don't want to put up with that. And so the real question is is like, how do I have the conversation with my boss? And you gave gave a great couple examples there, TK. I would highly recommend uh, Nonviolent Communication, Sarah. And the reason why that book is so important is not because it teaches you how to manipulate. It teaches you how to not escalate. And that is one of the most important parts with difficult conversations like this. So um, yeah, before you talk to your boss, if you're looking for tools... Sarah, read that book. It's very short. If you get it on audio, it's like four hours. I, mm. think it's, I think it's a little less than that if you listen to it at Josh Speed, which is, you know, 3.0 or something crazy. <laughs> uh, Josh Speed, <laughs> you can
1: get to it like 15 minutes. Yeah, right. Exactly.
5: <laughs> but the thing is, is like you want to go to your boss because if someone talked to me that way and like escalated it, my 25-year-old self put up with it, didn't know how to deal with it. My 41-year-old self, you're so old, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> my 41-year-old self would be like, do you think it's appropriate to talk to me like that? mm. mm. And then they would would go off the handle and that's where it's hard to not escalate. Yeah. And be like, and then they would go off the handle and I'd be like, yeah. So do you still think this is an appropriate way to talk to me? Like, I'm happy to work for you.
2: And you're not doing that in a way that is being snide. It's, It's simply showing them a mirror, holding up a mirror for that boss to realize like, they may not even understand what you're tolerating right now, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Ryan and I, it's funny, my daughter, uh, she's... Who's the meanest person that you've ever met? And I had an answer right away. And Ryan knows exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. Mm Because it's the meanest person he's ever met as well. Well, maybe Ryan's stepdad.
5: T.K. Coleman.
2: (laughs) (laughs) My stepdad. (laughs) All right. Sorry. No, but like Ryan and I had a boss in the corporate world. The very first meeting I was ever in with him, he called us all cocksuckers. Uh, it was like, you know, it was quite the motivational speech. Oh um, He's very 1980s boss. Yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> he, he wanted he like aspired. I think Gordon Gekko <laughs> was probably his like sort of ideal yeah. uh, archetype yeah. in a way. Anyway, he was a mean person mm-hmm. and I tolerated it. But guess what? When I tolerated it, I was simply encouraging more Uh, of that behavior. So I I just want to clarify as we wrap up this question for Sarah. When I say you encourage whatever you tolerate, if you have a cluttered house and you're tolerating it, you're encouraging more clutter. Mm -hmm. If you have an angry boss and you let them be angry to you, you tolerate it, well, you're going to get more anger. If you have a toxic partner, relationship, and you tolerate it, you're gonna get more toxicity. If you need more affirmation from other people, and well, you tolerate the fact that I have this particular need, well, you're gonna need more and more and more of it. And so you get whatever you tolerate, and the more you tolerate, the more of it will show up at your door. That's a little bit different from saying, in the moment, I can accept this for what it is, but I'm not going to continue to tolerate this behavior. I can even appreciate this person and love them, but I don't have to tolerate
1: their behavior if they're treating me this way. Yeah. And bottom line, you absolutely deserve to be treated better than that. So the question is, what direction are you going to move in in order to start getting the treatment that you deserve? And if nonviolent communication don't work, I recommend for a different kind of inspiration, watching The Equalizer with Denzel Washington.
5: (laughs) I thought some some you were
1: something some like Terminator like, 2 or something. Get some good ideas on how to deal with people that don't know how to talk with respect. <laughs> See, oh I knew we God.
2: were going to start doing ads eventually. The Equalizer <laughs> 3 is coming out oh very soon. Oh, my
5: goodness. <clears throat> how much they paying you for that, TK?
2: <laughs> Use his code <laughs> Coleman. <laughs> I got a question here from Instagram. Lori's got a question for us.
3: I try to be healthy, but there are people who tell me everything from my fruits and vegetables to my rugs and furniture is toxic. Do I have to avoid everything in order to be healthy?
2: Yes, everything is toxic. Yeah. Well, I mean, fundamentally, <clears throat> everything is toxic. Yes. Your air is toxic, your technology is toxic. So you're breathing in all the mold and the dust and the particulates, your technology is toxic because Mm -hmm. of all of the blue light that is coming off of your screens or the EMFs, the non-native EMFs. Oh, by the way, your water is toxic. Mm -hmm. All of the chemicals that are in your tap water are all many of them are cancer causing. Right. And so Not only are those things toxic, but your home is toxic. All the fragrances in your cleaning detergents and soaps and deodorant, that's all toxic. Everything in your life in modern day society is toxic. Mm -hmm. But the cure to the disease of excess is subtraction. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you have to get rid of everything. But as soon as you become aware of these things, as I have begun to become aware of many of them, no longer do I have fragrances in my home. I don't use deodorant anymore. No one complains about that, right? I don't uh, watch blue light after dark because it messes with my circadian rhythm. It's blue light toxicity, right? And yes, the rugs and the furniture and the synthetics, they off-gas. They have... VOCs, these volatile organic compounds that are not native to humans, not something we're used to, and they're toxic. And probably many of your clothes that are synthetic, if you're wearing underwear at your crotch all day that's made of synthetic materials, that is also toxic. And I'm not saying to cut all that out at once. But understanding those things, you begin to realize like, oh, if I'm, drinking this glass of water and then Danny's like, oh yeah, I put some poison in there. Mm. I'm not going to say, oh man, I guess I could just have a little bit more, right? I can have a little more. No, I'm just going to set it down naturally. As soon as you see the poison, you're no longer enticed by it.
1: That's right. An unbridled preoccupation with a healthier way can become just another obstacle that gets in the way. Any change you want to make, You can talk to someone who knows more than you that can say, hey man, you know, there's a better way to make that change. I just heard a stand-up comedian the other day say, I'm giving up candy. I'm gonna start eating fruit instead of candy. And he said his friend was like, yeah, man, you better be careful with the fruit, though. It's got a lot of sugar. And he's like, you know what? I'll call you when I get to that point, right? Mm-hmm. But that's how it is. Mm-hmm. The moment you say, I'm going to give up this and I'm going to start doing that, there's somebody that's going to come along and say, well, hey, you know, there's a better way to give it up. Well, I'm going to start working out more. Well, you know, there's a healthier way to work out. And some at some point, you just got to give yourself the permission to be the healthiest version of yourself at the level you can be right now. Just try to be better and don't worry about best. Just try to be whatever healthier looks like for you and don't worry about healthiest. You're never going to be done. There's always going to be something else to add on, something else to eliminate, something to refine. If you get obsessed with that, you're never going to be at peace with the process. Like What works for you right now? What's the easiest first step to take? Focus on that and just drown out all the voices that are trying to give you a billion different ways to do you better than what you can currently do.
5: Yeah. I love that, man. And yeah, during that process, it's like when you have a question, when you need some guidance, ask for it. But yeah, try to drown out all the unsolicited advice that everyone is trying to give you. I I think one of the biggest, biggest, uh, I don't know, barriers to things, to questions like this is this binary thinking. Mm. It's like, I, so I, I shouldn't have any of this or, uh, or, okay, well, if I'm going to have it, I'm going to have all of it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just not binary. And mm-hmm. I think that is the first step to, um, I don't know, understanding this toxic world we live in. Because, yeah. yes, Milburn's right. Like, we are all slowly dying of something. Mm-hmm. And toxicity is, is definitely one of those things that uh, is a possibility. So, instead of thinking things as binary, like, get clear on um, the boundaries that you want to set up. And maybe you can start making things a little bit more binary that way. But it isn't an all or nothing.
2: Yeah, I think about a if you go to eat an all-you-can-eat buffet, mm-hmm. right? You have three options, <laughs> right? <laughs> the first option is to literally eat everything they have. I thought that was the only option. <laughs> <laughs> when you and I were kids, that was the only option for us. And the other option is to eat what the appropriate amount is for you. hmm The third option is maybe I don't want any of this, and that's okay too. If you took me to a buffet now, I wouldn't eat any of it. And always understand that you have that as an option. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's the only option. It doesn't mean it's what you must do. That middle option is I get to figure out what is appropriate for me. Mm -hmm. What level of toxicity is appropriate for you, Lori? How much toxicity are you willing to tolerate? And I mean that not as a, a dig, I mean that literally. Like I'm here right now. We have all these these lights in the studio here. Ton of blue light toxicity that I'm experiencing this once is, a week. This is such a valuable question because
5: for you, you can't do the VOCs, man. Yeah. Like like Josh, he steps into a, a house that like just got built and there's all the glues and the plastics and, and everything is off-gassing. Like instantly, he's like, oh. Mm-hmm. This, if I stay here any longer, I'm going to feel bad. And it that, smells like panic. Yeah, it smells Ooh. like panic. Yeah. So the question mm. is, is Lori, does it smell like panic in your home or not?
2: Yeah.
5: <laughs> and if it does, yes, maybe you want to do something. If it doesn't, then, you know, don't let other people force their preferences on you.
1: That's yeah. right. That's <clears> right. <throat> Paradox of perfectionism the quest for perfection must be characterized by a tolerance for imperfection. Mm. I'm not saying you should strive for perfection, but even if you were to strive for perfection, that means you would have to perfectly love yourself the entire time that you're not perfect. Mm. So, yeah, like how much, how much of your imperfection can you tolerate?
5: I I love, every time I hear perfection now, like I just look at it completely different. Yeah. Ever since we started redefining like the completeness versus the perfect version of something.
1: Shout out to Catherine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I love what you said there, TK. Yeah. One other thing TK said is you can always get better. Understand that getting better in today's modern world often means subtraction. We Mm. often think about more is Mm. better. Addition is better. Multiplication is better. But maybe it's better to subtract. Maybe it's better to divide. Maybe it's better to live with less. Fewer toxins in our home, in our hygiene products, in our air. We have toxic sleep now. Everything in our lives is toxic. you're not going to make your life better by adding more toxicity to it. Mm. The only way it's going to get better in that case is to subtract. Another question here. This one is from David on Facebook.
3: Why do people get so easily offended by differing ideas? Shut
2: up, Mallory. (laughs) I don't think people do get offended by differing ideas. I'm not offended. You're offended.
3: (laughs) Can you use minimalism to keep your mood from being swayed by other people's opinions?
2: Oh, I got something pithy for y'all. Check this out. Freedom is a consequence of doing what you enjoy and then allowing others to be offended by your liberation. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, baby. That's deep. Can you, can you uh, expound? So here's what happens. Quite often, I'm afraid of saying something because I don't want to offend someone else. Mm-hmm. And so I have built this little prison around myself with people pleasing shaped bricks mm-hmm. and I'll please this person here, I'll please this person. And it's just one little brick at a time. Well, how big of a deal mm-hmm. is that, right? Mm-hmm. But then what happens, I build that prison cell with people pleasing sized bricks and someone is still gonna get offended. In fact, they pick one of the bricks up and use it to batter me because I said something that pleased you, but it pissed you off. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you're upset, you're offended. Now, why does this happen? It happens because we cling. This is the pain of clinging. What we do is we have a thought. And that thought turns into an opinion. Mm -hmm. The opinion turns into a belief. The belief turns into an ideology and the ideology turns into a dogma. And we build a whole theology around some opinion we have about Republicans or Democrats or trans rights or religion or whatever it might be. And we cease to listen to other people because, well, I'm so offended. I'm self-righteous. Mm. In order for me to be right, you must be wrong. In order for you to be wrong, I must be on a pedestal looking down on you. Mm. No, go ahead, bro. Oh no, <laughs> I was taking a deep breath. Good, yeah. I, yeah, I was you just
1: breathe, a deep breath. You breathe,
2: breath. buddy. I'll go. No,
5: I um, I have really over the last seven years have really been focusing on um when someone has a and i'm not perfect at this um i'm not complete around this yeah. but uh when someone comes at me when they're offended instead of me trying to argue with them it's more about asking questions and it's about like instead of giving them my answer it's guiding them to their own answer which if it just happens to be my answer well even better Cause then mm-hmm. that makes me right. I love being right. <laughs> and that's kind of the problem though. We all like being right. So um, if I see two people going at it, I'm not going to intervene. Like that's not my, sp- and it's hard not to do that on social media. Mm-hmm. You got two people arguing, oh, let me give you my two cents, you know? And then now, now we're picking sides and stuff. But um, if someone is coming at me, or even if I want to ask someone else about what they're doing, um, mm-hmm. instead of saying like, hey, I noticed you're doing, uh, you know, I noticed you're doing this. Um, you shouldn't be doing that. It's like, oh, I, I see that you do this in your life. Um, tell me about like, you know, why is that really important for you to in your life? And like that way you're kind of creating conversation. So the reason why people get so offended, um, well, that's just human nature. Um, but the reason why it gets violent or it gets really, really angry is because we don't know how to have adult conversations.
2: And also, I think we don't know how to, ha- to have fun or to enjoy ourselves. Yeah. It gets back to the thing I said a moment ago. Freedom is a consequence of doing what you enjoy and then allowing others to be offended by your liberation. Mm -hmm. So when you're participating, adding fuel to the fire, first off, ask yourself, do you enjoy this? Mm -hmm. If so there are great ways to have debates that you will really enjoy. And you can participate in a dialogue like that. But usually, I don't enjoy the back and forth. I don't enjoy being self-righteous. In fact, it makes me miserable. The need to be right makes me miserable. Mm. And so what if I do what I enjoy, regardless of whether or not you think it's right or wrong, And then you can be offended if you want, Mm -hmm. but I don't have to participate in your offendedness. It's not my job to unoffend you. Mm -hmm. It's not my job to placate you. Mm -hmm. It's not my job to coddle you. It's my job to enjoy myself. And then if you're pleased by that, great. If you're offended by that, that's fine too. I got to breathe deep. This brother, uh,
1: (laughs) me, like it's not my job to offend you. I'm like, hey man.
5: Well, maybe you could speak to the second part, TK. Just like, how do you use minimalism Mm. to prevent others from swaying, uh, yeah, from swaying your mood? I mean, because that is, uh, that is something where we see something on Instagram and we get pissed and now our mood is swayed.
1: Well, I'm not of the opinion that difficult discussions about our differences need to be fun. I believe they need to be free. In order for them to be fun, that means I need to enjoy this difficult discussion. In order for them to be free, that means I am available. I am fully present as my authentic self. Because the reality of being human is that we are multidimensional and we not only have different ideas, but we have different emotional experiences. And I want to be free to have a conversation where if what you say offends me, I can feel offended without having to change the conversation And and make it about me being offended. Mm -hmm. However, I I want to be the kind of person who can still respect your right to complete a sentence, Mm -hmm. who can still respect the other elements in this conversation that go beyond the mere sensation of being offended. I think the best kind of conversations is where we can talk about things, we can debate, we can argue, and we're free to be passionate.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. What if I do want to cry? as you're saying something to me, because that's just what your words invoke for me, right? It it doesn't mean I need to punch you in the face, right? It doesn't doesn't mean that my feelings give me an excuse to say whatever I want to say to you or do whatever I want to do. But maybe maybe I want to cry. Maybe maybe I want to laugh. Maybe I want to smile. Maybe I want to feel inspired or whatever it may be. And so many discussions about differences today um, involve a lot of emotional policing, Mm. Where, where we focus on the optics of how people look and sound when they disagree. Oh, that brother, he looked a little defensive when 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 they gave him that question. Oh, he looked a little fidgety and nervousness. Mm. So what? We're human beings. Sometimes we're nervous. Sometimes we feel defensive. Sometimes we feel threatened. Sometimes we feel sad. And how in the hell can you do good philosophy if you can't look at a question, if you can't look at an idea and be honest with yourself and others and say, man, that threatens me a little, but I'm going to stick with it. Mm. That frightens me a little, Yeah, but but I'm going to let that question haunt me because perhaps that question can do me some good. And so we have to listen to others, but also be willing to allow them to be who they are and process as they need to process without feeling the need to be the emotional police. Oh, you can't feel that way right. about what I say. You can feel whatever way you, you need to feel, brother. You can feel whatever way you need to feel, sister. But maybe we can come together and talk in a way so that our feelings don't get in the way of our ability to respect one another's dignity. Mm.
5: Yeah, I always make the mistake. Like, well, I don't make it as much anymore. But uh, let's say Mariah was upset about something, mm. and in my mind, I'm like, "Oh, if I was you, I wouldn't be upset." And here's why: you shouldn't be upset. Let me explain to you what. Mm. Let me tell you how much she loved that. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I, I try not to do that now. Like now, like when she has, uh, you know, a negative feeling that may, that I necessarily don't see, it's more about. Um, approaching it with curiosity mm-hmm. and being like, oh, okay, like, why do you feel this way? How can I help? You know, what's going on? Not like, well, if I was you, I wouldn't feel that way. So yeah. um, cor- having, the, uh, having the ability to hold space for someone else's emotions without needing to tell them why they shouldn't feel a certain way. Like, I think that's a, that's a great approach, but hitting this question of minimalism head on, like if you got people in your life that are just like driving you crazy and they're coming at you all the time and they're bringing you nothing but misery and discontent, You can let go of those relationships, whether it's social media or whether it's in person, uh, you can let go of those
1: relationships and stop clinging. And and you can let go of the need to make people talk about things they don't want to talk about. You can let go of the expectation that someone is going to give you more open mindedness than what they have demonstrated a willingness to give. You can say, all right, man, we can keep it at the level of the NBA. That's cool. We ain't got to talk about that other stuff. Ryan, what time is it?
2: It's my favorite time. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your questions from TikTok. Yes, indeed. You can follow The Minimalist on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalist. During our lightning round, we each have 60 seconds to answer your question with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes over at theminimalists.com slash... Podcast, so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. Looks like today's question is from Nate.
3: No one can make you happy is such a BS statement. How does that help someone who is already lonely?
2: (laughs) So, what Nate is responding to, to give you all some context here, there was a video that we put up on our TikTok account where we talked about how no one has the power to make you happy. No one has the power to make you upset either. Mm. You get to decide whether or not you are upset, whether or not you are happy. And these things around us, they can amplify what's going on inside us. But that person or that thing or that community or that relationship or that experience isn't what is making you happy. Only you make you happy. Let's get 60 seconds on the clock for my good friend, Ryan Nicodemus. All right. Uh, my pit the answer is this. Happiness is not a currency.
5: And I made the mistake for so long looking at happiness as like the ultimate currency. And every day I would ask myself, how happy am I? Am I living a happy life? Oh, I'm not so happy today. I got, I, I'm low on that currency. I need to go find happiness. Oh, that person in my life, how much happiness are they giving me? Oh, they're not giving me enough. I should probably move on to, to someone else or bring someone else into my life. That is a chase. And if you put happiness first, it's like putting money first. It is a ephemeral resource that is not going to uh, buy you a life well-lived. You know what gives you a life well-lived? Is living a life well-lived, living a meaningful life. And when you do that, all of the happiness and the good feelings is a byproduct
2: of that. Oh, so good. So good. T.K. Coleman, what do you got for us?
1: No one can make you content without your consent.
3: Mm. A
1: good partner can help enhance your already existing state of happiness They can complement your already existing commitment to cultivating happiness, but what they cannot do is make you happy in spite of yourself. That's neither fair to them nor feasible for you. So if you're not in a relationship and you want to be in a relationship, you've got two options. You can say, I'm going to wait until I find a great relationship before I give myself permission to be happy or I'm going to pursue the relationship that I want, but I'm going to create a little bit of happiness as best as I can along the way. That first option, if you say yes to that, then you make it difficult to attract the right kind of person and you make it easy to attract the wrong kind of person. But if you exercise that second option, you not only make it easier to attract the right kind of person, but you make it easier to work the relationship well if you find them. Mm. Thank you so much for not Making me follow TK, I appreciate that. That was really nice of (laughs) you.
2: Well, I got something pithy for y'all. Y'all ready for this? Yes. Here we go. It is not wise to lend your happiness to others and then beg them to give it back to you. Yeah. Too often, I say, oh, you're going to make me happy. But I'm already happy. I was born happy, and I'm allowing you to take that away from me. No one can make you happy. Also, no one can make you unhappy. No one can make you angry. No one can complete you. No one can fulfill you. No one can make you better. And so why lend your happiness to your friends, to your family, to your coworkers, or to people you dislike on social media? Why lend your happiness to them and say, please, please give me my happiness back. That is a recipe for misery. Oh, I did it in under 60 seconds. Yes, we can talk. So yeah, let's right. talk about it a little bit more. So
5: what's interesting, I love what you said here, Josh. That's like, that's great, man. Lending your happiness out and then asking for it back. Um, if a relationship is started out of one trying to be happy and they bring someone into their life telling themselves like, oh, okay, now I can be happy. It's, it's not as powerful as like someone who is living that meaningful life, who's, who's living a life well-lived, and they are already happy. And then someone else is drawn to ha- that person and their happiness.
2: If you show up to a relationship incomplete, that relationship will never complete you. Yes. I'm thinking about my own relationships in my home with my wife and my 10-year-old daughter. And the other day, my Daughter left her book bag and a camping bag on the floor in the middle of the hallway. And she'll do that from time to time and not pay much attention. And I will, of course, what? I'll get upset and I'll say, Oh, look what you have done. Mm. You've taken away my happiness. But of course, she didn't. And even if she did that intentionally, to try to make me unhappy, it's still my choice as to whether or not I accept that unhappiness or that discontent from her. But also I can look at that and I can recognize like, oh, it is not up to me to be fulfilled, to be satisfied externally Mm. through if my daughter does all of the right things in the right sequence, then I'm allowed to be happy. If my wife does all the right things, I look at our refrigerator and if it was just me living alone, it would look a whole lot more organized inside our refrigerator. Mm. It would look like a magazine ad generally, but that's just because I have OCD. However, it's not my wife saying, you know what? Huh, I'm going to make you unhappy. (laughs) No, my getting upset about that is up to me. And it's also up to me to decide to not be upset by that, to simply let it go.
1: Yeah, one of the things this makes me think about is how in in, in many conversations on self-help philosophy, the paradox is that it's not very helpful if we don't allow space for the colloquial use of speech. And so, so many of these answers depend on what a person means by the terms they use. So in the way we're talking about it, no one can make you happy because what we mean by that is no one can force you to feel joy. In spite of the choices you make, you have to cooperate with another person's efforts to inspire joy in you. It is also true that when many people informally say things like, they make me happy, what they really mean is that when I am with this person, I feel a lot of joy. And it's something that's a lot more casual. And so Mm. can someone make you happy? Well, if what you mean is, can I find great joy and great fulfillment in the presence of another? Absolutely, you sure can. But can someone make me happy if what you mean by that is can someone lift me out of my depression, lift me out of my despondency in spite of any decisions that I make? No, no one can do that for you. It's got to be a collaboration. It's got to be a process of co-creation. Another person can help you, they can inspire you, but you've got to show up for yourself as well.
5: Yeah. When when the when he said something about or when he's talking about someone making him happy, um it's really about like does that person enhance? Like that's, I think that's what he's saying. Like this you know, person in my life could enhance my happiness. But the problem is that if you aren't happy right now, like if you're waking up every day, like I'm miserable and then you bring someone in and then maybe it doesn't enhance your happiness. And maybe it truly does like give you purpose every day. And you're like, oh, I'm so glad I have this person in my life. Man, you're still like, you're giving them your happiness and you're making them responsible for your happiness. Not very empowering i really loving
2: either in order for me to be happy you have to be there that's (sighs) That's a a burden man. that is yeah yeah
3: just i I echo what you're saying that's a lot of pressure to put on another person that's a lot of responsibility to Mm. throw in their hands
5: Mm. oh man yeah i really because nate nate sounds lonely Mm. so tk how do you how do you like
1: how would you address the loneliness aspect of this question I, I don't know if I share that that perception of Nate. Okay. I, I, I don't know what Nate sounds like to me. It sounds like it's just, I'm taking it as a question that mm-hmm. says, hey, what you said here sounds like BS to me. Mm-hmm. But yet I'm extending enough charity and open-mindedness to you to mm-hmm. say, i like to hear you reconcile the contradiction. Yeah, I I think we did that well. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
2: We're going to check out the Patreon live stream here in a moment. But first, real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. Our good friend, Podcast Sean, is graduating. Ladies and gentlemen, Podcast Sean. Man, what a stalwart. If you're watching a... Uh, The video version of the podcast, you'll see a photo. I had Sean send this to me uh, this weekend. (laughs) This is from 2014. Ryan and I were on our third or fourth tour at this (sighs) point. Look at those naive young men. Hundred cities were in Dayton, (laughs) Ohio. He brought his daughter, Gabby, who at the time, I think she was 10 or 11. She's about my daughter's age, which makes me think my daughter's going to be in her 20s in a blink of an eye, man. Mm -hmm. And so we were in Dayton, Ohio. This is at DVAC, which is, uh, they actually moved to the Dayton Arcade recently, but we were downtown Dayton for an awesome tour stop there. And we had uh, Sean Harding, Podcast Sean, This is before he started working with us as the minimalists. So we talked about this a bit last week on the private podcast. I wanted to bring this forward for the public version of the podcast just to honor Sean and recognize him. We've known Sean for a couple decades now. We worked together in the corporate world and he was the most organized person. He did all the inventory for our retail stores and he managed uh, inventory there. And then eventually he got promoted and he was teaching uh, as well. He's also an English teacher, a public school teacher for a while. Mm -hmm. And, um, as we started growing, the minimal started growing on its own. We never intended to grow this into a a business. Even eventually a few years in, we actually had to turn it into a business. It was a blog Mm -hmm. for a a period of time. Mm -hmm. And then a thousand people were showing up at our tour stops. And it was like, I guess this is a business now. (laughs) And so while we were on this tour, we actually had Professor Sean, who's here now. He's taken over a lot of the audio engineering duties because last year, if you are a longtime Patreon subscriber, you saw the conversation that we did with Podcast Sean. He moved back to Montana. And uh, they're actually looking at moving east now, somewhere in the the Carolinas possibly, to be closer to mm-hmm. family. And so while he's graduating from the minimalist, we're always going to keep an open door for him because when we first started working together. It was because we kept looking for someone like Sean Harding. Mm-hmm. And every time Ryan and I were like we would interview someone or we want to bring someone on board, or we could really use someone like Sean Harding. Mm-hmm. And eventually Ryan comes to me one day and he says, <laughs> you know, who's like Sean Harding? Who? Sean Harding. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And so we dragged him out to Montana. Oh, we wooed him so much, man. Kayaks, lakes, (laughs) mountains. It was awesome. (laughs) And uh, we have worked with him now since 2014. So for the last decade, we've worked with podcast Sean. And while he's graduating from the minimalist. He'll always have a home here. We leave the door open for him in the future. Who knows? Maybe he and his family will come out to to California and we'll have another chapter. But he's moving on right now. He's letting go of this and we're letting go together so that he can move on the direction that he wants to move. And we fully support him in that. And not just that, but we honor him and we recognize him because he's been an amazing part of this podcast. If you enjoy the way this podcast sounds and the way that it's edited. And also, he's been our factotum. He's been our tour manager. He has been so much for Mm. The Minimalist. He's been our director of operations, uh, responsible for emails and and customer communications and editing books and all kinds of amazing things for The Minimalist. We're so grateful for that. Oh, my goodness. And
5: I am especially grateful for that smile that he has. Oh, my God. (laughs) How dare him have a better smile than the three of us <laughs> in that picture?
3: There's so much joy in that Oh photo. my God.
1: Yes. Like that is, yeah, he's got a great smile. So I'm definitely not letting go of podcast, Sean. Um, I'm not letting you go, brother. Uh, that's my <laughs> Catholic brother on a minimalist, but you know, I remember uh, just being on a tour with you guys and um, Sean and I would often just stay up late in the hotel lobbies and just talk. I remember our time together and um, yeah, th- th- those are some of the, some of the best moments, man. So yeah, um, We'll miss having you around this space, but but brother, me and you will continue to stay linked, man. Yeah, Yeah. and and when I say letting
2: go, we're not letting go of him. And I think this is important to recognize with any relationship, as relationships change, Mm -hmm. and that could be a relationship with your job, it could be a relationship with your friends, it could be a relationship with your things, you can move on and you can let go of the way that things were. In fact, in order to move on, you have to let go of holding on, of clinging, because that creates that pain, that p- pain of clinging. Mm-hmm. You have to let go of that clinging in order to move on to whatever the next chapter
1: is going to be. Yeah. I got an R and B lyric just mm-hmm. coming in. My, I it? don't know if this is uh, Brian McKnight or if it's just me and my subconscious, but the R and lyric is, "What could we be if we weren't bound to what we used to be?"
5: Oh, R <laughs> <I love laughs> and R&B it.
1: music just queuing up right oh, now.
5: That's all. Because like when he was saying that, I was thinking about how grateful I am for all the amazing memories that I have with Sean and, uh, on tour. And, you know, I mean, we, we got to go to Australia together. I mean, and just Ness for that matter too. Like Mm -hmm. it's so wonderful, like to have those memories and I don't have any souvenirs or trinkets to remind me of those memories. They all live right here. And of course, pictures like this remind me.
2: Yeah. Well, I'll share this one with you. Podcast Sean, we love you. We appreciate you. We're grateful for you. Many more years, much more health to come. By the way, he's, Uh, He seems to be doing really great right now in Montana. I'm looking forward to figuring out what that next chapter is for him as he moves on. Malabama, let's check in with the Patreon live stream. What do you got for us?
3: Here's a question from Marcos. I have everything I need and more, but I'm anxious all the time. I have no idea what needs to change. How do I figure out where to start letting go? Mm. Mm.
5: Anxiety. This is like, this resonates with me so much because... I think uh, in my late 20s, when I had everything I ever wanted, when I was making a lot of money, um, I think I had that pursuit because of the anxiety that I always felt and thinking that if I could obtain as much as possible, that that would go away and that I would be happy. And when it comes to the anxiety for me, it's really about, um, it's like holding space for it and examining it rather than me. Letting it control me. So, why do you feel anxious? Is it because you have too much stuff? Is, did he say he had too much stuff? He just said every said
2: he yeah, has everything he needs. Yeah, yeah. Which which maybe usually when we have everything we need, we get there through excess, mm. and excess becomes a disease where where it's more and more and more. And so now I have enough, but I also have what more than enough.
5: Yeah, yeah. It, I mean that 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 anxiety is a symptom. Marcos. And I would examine why you have that symptom. If it is because of the stuff, great. Maybe it has to do with like my anxiety comes from childhood trauma. And I'm so glad that I had like a therapist kind of help me understand that. Because intellectually, you could tell me, hey, your anxiety comes from childhood trauma. I'd get it. But like until I emotionally connected with it, it wasn't until I could... stare at my anxiety in the face and be like, what do you want? What do you want now? Like, do you really want something or are you just like freaking out for no
2: reason? I think it's an important point that anxiety is the symptom. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to get rid of the symptom. You want to figure out what is causing
1: that symptom. That's ultimately the only way to let go. Yeah, absolutely. Like what I'm hearing is, hey, I have everything that I want, but I still don't have the peace that I thought I would have by now. What do I need to let go? I would say what needs to be released is the narrative that my peace will come from having everything that I want or I should have already been at peace by now. Hmm. And I think the good part about having everything that you want is that you're free from a lot of the distractions that might, um, you know, make you feel like you don't have time to be present with yourself and to ask yourself these critical questions. Uh, I think that's the good part. And I I would encourage you to find a space and a person um, in whom and with whom you can talk this out. Uh, I encourage some kind of counselor, some kind of therapy. I think you need to just take some time to process that anxiety and get under the hood, get underneath that, start unpacking it and seeing what's going on there with your assumptions, your expectations, and and whatever other things you have going on.
5: Yeah. So when I feel anxiety, my first reaction is to be like, oh, what do I feel anxious about? So i anxiety arises. And then I start looking for problems. Mm -hmm. And what I've been able to do is I will go through my today list. I will go through my calendar. I'll go through uh, my emails and I'll be like, okay, is is there anything that's pressing right now? Because that's what I feel. I feel like I need to be doing something right now. And if all of that is clear, like I give myself permission to stop clinging to the anxiety.
2: Because that's what you're doing. You're either clinging Mm -hmm. or you're letting go. Mm -hmm. And by the way, life is a series of attachment. And detaching, attaching, detaching, attaching, detaching. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, that's when you're clinging, and that's when it becomes a painful burden. Malaban, what else what else you got for us?
3: Here are some minimalist comments and insights from our listeners. Hey there, Alexis from New York City. So something that has made me think twice
1: about what I bring into my home is donating with purpose. So as I've been downsizing, I've been leaving
0: all of my stuff in a bucket on the floor and I've really been doing my research to try and find places that'll actually use my stuff. And you'd be surprised at how hard it is to find places who will take your stuff, even if it's good stuff. Um, so in doing all of this work,
1: I am finding meaning and purpose in the things I'm donating, and I'm thinking twice about what I bring into my home.
0: Hey guys, this is Natalie from Colorado, and this is the comment for The Minimalist when someone asked how to keep clothes in good condition when doing the 3 3 project. So I usually wear each item of clothing twice unless they're actually dirty, And then I also wash clothes on delicate and hang dry everything except for jeans and gym clothes. Most items are washed in garment bags to prevent snags or tears. Lastly, since I wear a lot of black as well, once my clothes start fading, I dye them to revive the color. Oh, and one last thing. I usually use natural detergents from a zero-waste store because less chemicals equals less damage.
2: Welcome back, y'all. We got some... uh More questions from the Patreon, a live stream. Let's get into at least one of those right now. We'll save some more for later.
3: That's right. We have a question here from Pontus. If you once broke up with someone because you were in different stages of life, but later feel like you align again, how do you know if working things out together will be clinging to what ifs or a true desire?
2: I think I always want to understand that I'm not going back to where I was. I could go live in my childhood home again. I wouldn't recommend it. You all saw it in my... Uh, in our last documentary, uh, that childhood home, and it was all boarded up then. I've since heard that they've. Uh someone's fixed it up. Really? Yeah. I was gonna say, would it be living or squatting? (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) But I could go live there, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't relive there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important distinction to make. Quite often we go back to something out of comfort, out of familiarity, right? Mm -hmm. And that familiarity or that comfort actually prevents us from growing. If you're at a completely different place and that person's in a different place as well, and you feel as though you align, Yeah, you can try it again, but it's okay to dip your toe in the water without saying, all right, we're ready to move in together. We're ready to redo all of the things that ruined our relationship last time. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a way to learn from what you learned from that relationship last time. I can tell you this though, by and large, most of the time when you go back to something, when you go back to someone, when you repurchase the thing you lost, whatever it might be, the vast majority of the time, We are doing it out of comfort Mm. or certainty. We're not doing it out of a sense of um, gratitude and possibility.
5: Mm.
1: When we made the decision to move to California, a lot of people knowing that we once lived here said, congratulations, man, you're going back. And for me, it was like, I ain't going back to nothing. I'm going forward. I'm not coming to reclaim old relationships, reclaim old pursuits. I'm going forward into a new way of living and this is the space that we choose to move forward in. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, because I'm not Steve Urkel, I didn't correct people when they said <laughs> congratulations on going back. I just smiled, gave them a thumbs up and said, appreciate it, man, because mm-hmm. I know what they meant. But yeah. for me, in terms of how I frame that internally, I never looked at it as going back. I looked at it as going forward um, in, a, in a familiar place, but with new new goals, new ambitions and so on. And so... I, I, I like the idea of if I'm going to do something with someone that I've already been with, we're going to go forward in a new way. And, and I would ask myself that question, how are we going forward in a new way? Mm. What is going to be different this time? And I would demand an answer to that question for my, uh, from myself and for myself. But to your question about how do we know, I think the answer to that is we don't. We don't know. Yeah. All you can do is give yourself the permission to explore what you're interested in exploring without requiring yourself to know ahead of time that it's going to work out. Love, even when it's with someone we've already been with in the past, is still an inherent risk. There is no certainty in love and that's what makes it pursuing. Mm-hmm. But that's what makes it worth pursuing.
5: Yeah. Yeah. There's absolutely no way in knowing if this is a right decision or not. But I'll tell you, speaking of what Josh said, the, um, yeah. I'm going to say the wrong decision is getting back into exactly what you left. So that is not going to get you anywhere. But to your point, it's it is uh, to your point, TK, it's getting with your ex and examining, hey, what went wrong in the past? What boundaries do you need to set up to make this different? Let me share my boundaries with you to make this different and let's give it another shot. And if it works out great and it still may not work out, but. The expectation uh, the expectation, should not be there whether it is or isn't going to work out. Really, the expectation is like, how can we do this differently? And are we both willing to approach this relationship differently?
2: Got some talk aboutables for you. By the way, patrons, if you're got, if you watching the live stream right now, you got questions or comments for the chat, please drop them in the chat. We'll get to some more in a bit. Talk aboutables here. Matt Damon on winning his first Oscar. Let's take a look at this video. <laughs> I love how he's like the star of our show.
5: Go ahead.
1: So, but but, I, but I, I couldn't sleep. I, I was just kind of still buzzing and, yeah. and was sitting there. And I remember very clearly looking at that award and, um, and, and thinking very, very clearly. Am I allowed to say a four-letter word on this yeah, show? Yeah, sure. I, I literally looked at it. I was alone with it. And I said to myself, thank God I didn't fuck anybody over for this. <laughs> and I, I suddenly had this kind of thing wash over me where I thought, oh, imagine chasing that and not getting it and getting it finally in your eighties or your nineties with all of life behind you and realizing what an unbelievable waste of your you know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it can't it's gotta be you know what I mean it's not it it, it can't be good it, enough. It, it, right. Mm, it yeah. can't fill you up. It will never if that's a hole that you have that won't fill it.
2: TK you sent this in.
1: What was the what really stood out to you about this clip? First of all, I love great actors and I love the film industry and I love listening to them talk about things beyond the surface when people ask them questions that aren't about what's the dress you're wearing? What's the suit you're wearing? What's the attitude and the mentality behind your pursuits and behind your accolades That's when I love to hear them speak. That's why I've always loved the show inside the actor's studio. I recommend the Tom Hanks interview for anybody that's looking Mm. uh, for a good starting point. But when I, when I, so I'm always listening to interviews like this and uh, I love to get Matt Damon on this show to talk about it. But when I heard that, I thought to myself, wow, that's a poignant way of thinking about that, that I've never considered. That here's someone who won an Oscar and that's the dream, man. Even if you got to wait until you're 80 to get it, that's the dream, and he's looking at it and it's like, I'm glad I didn't screw anybody over for this. Mm. And I assume that included in that is himself. I'm glad I didn't screw myself over mm. by lying to myself and doing a bunch of stuff that I didn't believe in in order to get there. And that's so powerful. And, and it just kind of made me think about my own life and the things that I'm chasing, the things that I have chased. When I look back, am I living in such a way to where I can look at the life I've created for myself and say, I'm glad I didn't lie to myself and anybody else in order to get here.
3: Mm. Yes.
2: I can tell you this, the things that I've chased have never, for me, 100% of the time, the things that I have chased have never been as fulfilling as I thought they would be. Mm. Becoming a New York Times bestselling author, an Emmy-nominated filmmaker, to sell out tours or whatever it might be, If I chased those things and then got them, Mm. I'd actually feel an emptiness. Mm. Now, all those things I just mentioned were a byproduct of doing something. In fact, when we got the Emmy nomination, I thought it was a joke. (laughs) I thought it was someone like trying to spam us like, oh, look, your film is out here. I had to look like, oh, no, this is actually from at netflix.com email address. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Right. But it doesn't make me who I am. Just like. Getting an Oscar doesn't make Matt Damon a better actor. It's good for his resume. And being Emmy nominated and New York Times bestselling author is good for our resume in these narrow instances. But it doesn't change who I am. And I will tell you, the things that have been the most fulfilling to me are never those pinnacles, those Mm. apexes, the zenith of experience. It's never that. It's always like, oh, wow. Ryan, remember when we were in Knoxville and two people showed up at our tour stop and how awesome it was that at least two people showed up. Mm. Remember when we got stuck on I-80 in Wyoming and we couldn't make it to our tour stop in Omaha because they closed the highway because of snow. Mm. Wow, okay. And these are the things that I remember. What does that tell me? You remember the challenges the things we would call a problem at the time, the things that feel insurmountable or unbearable, we laugh at them now that they're in the rear view. Mm. Yeah. No,
5: what a a great video, man. I mean, the message um, that I heard loud and clear is like, if you have a hole in your heart, there is no accomplishment or uh, physical possession that you can obtain to fill that hole. Because what happens is if he did screw a bunch of people over, and he didn't get his Academy Award until 80 years old, when he finally got it. Well, now you've got, the, you've got the end goal, but now you're left with looking back at the journey there. Yeah and how miserable it would be if your remembrance was screwing people over and uh, just bulldozing your way
2: through it at, at any cost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, I, that's a great video. That's, how, many, that's awesome. how many bodies are in your wake? Yeah, is a way to think about it. And what he's seeing is like, oh, wow, there are no bodies in my wake. I yeah. didn't have to compromise who I am in order to get that thing. In mm-hmm. fact, he wasn't even chasing it. Hmm. He made a great film and as a result, got the Oscar. Yeah. And yet he didn't have to be someone else, do something that didn't align with who he wanted to be mm-hmm. or harm anyone else to get that accolade. And that accolade is still not going to fulfill him nearly as much as just doing the thing that he enjoys to do. Yeah, just doing good work. It's interesting because I think about
5: like in the corporate world, I was chasing promotions and I was chasing status and I was chasing money. And every time I got a bigger paycheck, higher status, whatever it was, it felt great for like a week, but like mm-hmm. it would wane very, very quickly. I sought those things out. Today, I'll tell you what feels like the best every single time it happens. When someone comes up, this, is just, this just happened at the Dave Ramsey event that we went down to in Anaheim. Someone came up to me and they were like, "Um, just shake, you know, the shaky talking, almost like starting to cry type talking. Yeah. And she was just like, you have no idea, like what you did for my mother. And because you helped my mother, you helped our relationship. And she was like, you just have no clue, like what you did for us. And I just want to give you like the most, sincerest thank you for the work that the minimalists do because um it really saved my mom and I's relationship and that is like every time i hear that it doesn't feel better or worse it it feels very fulfilling every single time but i don't chase it right it's a it, byproduct
2: if you needed to improve her mother's life right man and then it happened well now i just met the expectation that i set for myself yeah mm. You know, what my expectation is when we first
5: started this, I'm going to help one other person, like avoid the pitfalls that I felt that I fell into, and I know there's one person out there that will 100% appreciate me sharing the lessons that I've learned. Yeah, and it
2: turns out there's you know millions of people like us. <laughs> I got one more talk aboutable for you. What is stress really? Let's take a look at this video.
4: Stress is a sign that. You've lost the present moment.
1: The next moment has become more important than life itself.
2: The next moment has become more important than life itself. Mm. Here's the truth. All we have is now. It's been said so much that it has become cliche. The past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. Except those things do exist. When do they exist? When we worry about the future. When we stress out about the future, when we make ourselves anxious about the future, or we pile on the regret and the grief from the past, and we live that right now and we keep reliving it, it's almost like we're punishing ourselves for the things that already happened and we already punished ourselves for, or we're punishing ourselves for something that hasn't even happened yet. Mm, Man, can can we watch it one more time? Let's do it. It was so short.
4: Stress is a sign that you've lost the present moment. The next moment has become more important
1: than life itself. So this is Eckhart Tolle, by the way.
5: so good, man. Yeah. Stress takes us out of the present moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think one key distinction to really getting this because uh, I, I can hear a lot of people say things like, well, I mean, I do got something to worry about, though. You know, uh, something, you know, I've got a responsibility that has to be met. I've got a meeting coming up in an hour. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think one important distinction is the distinction between being joyful in the present moment and being joyful about everything that's happening in the present moment. So sometimes when you talk about the invincibility of joy as a real possibility in life, people may say, oh, but how could you possibly be happy when uh, there are people out there that are starving? How can you possibly be happy when there are tragedies happening right now? Well, that confuses being happy in the moment with being happy about everything that's happening at the moment. I'm not happy about that stuff. I'm happy in spite of that stuff. And because I am anchored in a kind of joy that is independent of that stuff, I am in a disposition that allows me to engage that stuff in a way that's healthy, in a way that's clear-minded. And and I, I think that's an important thing to to sort of keep in mind that you don't have to be happy about everything that's happening in order to be in the present moment, in a state of joy, in spite of some of the things that are happening.
5: Let's go. That was really good. Can we just cut that? Because I don't want to look bad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you're
2: talking about. We're going to move on to our sucky (laughs) ad segment. In fact, we're going to talk about ads twice today because our more about less segment, we have a question about advertising. So right now, oh, disgusting. So, I think Alabama called this one <laughs> Spring Into Black Friday. This is for one of our Patreon subscribers, oh. Danielle. She sent this in.
3: That's right. She said, I wanted to share this sucky ad that showed up in my inbox today. Apparently, there is a new shopping holiday, Spring Black Friday.
2: Now, I've seen several iterations of this. I saw Black Friday in... June. I saw Black Friday in April. I saw Summer Black Friday sale. Now, let's get to the origin of this So Black Friday is the day in which a lot of retailers go from the red to the black in their books. It's when they become profitable. There were some years when Ryan and I managed a bunch of retail stores. We made upwards of 40% of our revenue between Thanksgiving and the end of the year. For the entire year, that's how much excess shopping goes on during the black friday and then therefore the holiday shopping season which by the way we have completely transformed the holiday season with one word holiday shopping season but yeah. why wait for a holiday to take advantage of black friday so when we talk about black friday what what are we when we celebrate black friday mm. what are we really celebrating we're celebrating Corporations becoming more profitable. Yay! Take my money. Be more profitable, corporation. Mm. It's gross because what it does is it plays on our impulses. We know that Black Friday is the day of the year which we trample everyone The day after, we're thankful for everyone. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for you today, but I will trample you tomorrow to save $50 on a flat screen TV.
1: Mm. You know what my beef is? Coming from the perspective of somebody that listens to Christmas music every day of the year Mm -hmm. and always takes heat for it. It's like, okay, so y'all got a problem with me playing Christmas music. In July, in August, in April, in February, whatever it may be, but some corporation can give you a commercial and get and say, hey, this random day is now a holiday because we want you to buy something. So we're going to slap a label on it and now it's legit. And then everybody stresses out, takes extra shifts, goes crazy so they can buy a product to prove to somebody that they love them on this manufactured holiday. Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe I can get away with listening to Christmas music every day if I charge people money for it. <laughs> oh my God. Hey, TK, I think they were
2: inspired by you. They're like,
1: if this dude can do
5: Christmas in July, we can do Black Friday in June.
2: Right? <laughs> <laughs> I got an email on Mother's Day this year, which is also podcast Sean's birthday this mm-hmm. year. Uh, happy birthday, podcast Sean. But I got an email on Mother's Day for air filters, buy your mother air filters Now, think about this for a moment. First off, the Mother's Day gift of an air filter, probably not the best gift. However, I got it on Mother's Day, which means I would have to then order it on Mother's Day and say, uh, hey, mom, I got you an air filter and you should expect it in five to seven business days. (laughs) (laughs) What a terrible... Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, a Mother's (laughs) Day sale. I got 20% off. I was dumb not to buy it. Wow. Of course, as we know everything is 100% off if you don't buy it.
3: That's right.
2: You should have just responded and been like, my mother isn't alive anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for ruining this day for me. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That would have showed him. We got a minimalist home tour. This is number 39 in our series. Brody is one of our Patreon subscribers, and he wrote in, I think I titled this one, The Doctor Will See You Now.
3: Yes. He oh, said,
5: my goodness. Isn't that it is,
3: beautiful? It's, cool. I,
5: it's funny because like, I can't do carpet, but that carpet, with the,
2: that's beautiful. That is awesome. What did Brody have to say?
3: He said, I'm listening from Australia to the Maximal episode 382 on Patreon. I've listened twice and got so much value out of it. Thought I'd share my favorite sitting spot in my lounge room. 1960s furniture was extremely well made.
5: Dude, I love it. it. I mean, it inspires me to
2: like, oh, maybe I could do carpet. <laughs> I, you know, it looks so comfortable to me. So if you're just listening to the audio version, if you don't, don't subscribe to the video version of the private podcast, what we have here is literally two lounge chairs, a table, a plant some beautiful windows. And I love the way that the light is just sort of uh, slatted into the room, Mm -hmm. these vertical blinds and how it's coming into the room. It looks so comfortable. And I feel like you could have three or four people in this room, a couple people in the chairs. You have people lounging on the carpet in there while you're reading. Mm -hmm. To me, it looks like the perfect place to go grab a book, natural light right behind me. Oh, yeah. Oh, I want to just go to this room and read for hours and hours and hours. Brody, bravo to you. Heck yeah. Any insights, TK?
1: Oh man, Brody, give me a cigar (laughs) and a little bit of GK Chesterton and I kick my feet up in that room and have have the time of my life, man. See,
3: I see that and I go, man, what a great place to have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with a friend. The conversations you could have in those chairs by that beautiful window.
5: Yeah, without any distractions. Does
2: does the off centered plant, does it disturb disrupt your OCD at all? It's uh, wabi-sabi. I've, wabi-sabi. Ah, okay. <laughs> yes, right. I've, I've, um, I've formed a detente with certain wabi-sabi elements of my home because my wife's really into wabi-sabi design. And so wabi-sabi is essentially the art of imperfection yeah. where you accept the imperfections. Like what would happen in Japan is um, they would like literally intentionally break a, a glass and then glue it back together, a vase and glue it back together to add a sort of wabi-sabi element, an imperfection to it. Perfect through its own
1: imperfections.
5: Interesting. The American version of that is distressed. Mm, (laughs) Yeah. Seriously though. Like
1: that's, yeah. Anyway. That's what I told my wife when I first introduced myself to her. She looked at me like I was crazy. I said, girl, you need some wabi-sabi in your life. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody can't look like Brad Pitt. You need a little Uh, (laughs) wabi-sabi. That's great.
2: All right. If you have any questions for the Patreon live stream, feel free to drop them in the chat. I want to get to this more about less segment, though. Mm. Usually we use this segment as a jump off point to to read, read something as a jump off point for conversation. We're still going to do that. We're going to read something. But Jules on YouTube had a question. I thought this was a perfect time for this question.
3: Why don't you consider the constant plugging of your own private podcast as advertising, especially since it's behind a paywall?
2: Well, I want to make a distinction between Hmm. marketing and advertising because I get it. If you say, well, you're talking about Patreon, isn't that an advertisement? Uh, You're using that term in a way that I wouldn't use the term advertising. I want to get really specific about what we're talking about. There's a long essay on our website. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's called, Can We Have an Honest Conversation About Advertisements? And there's one short section in here about marketing versus advertising. And here's what it says. The flip side of advertising isn't the absence of communication, it's marketing. In his book, The Mindset of Marketing Your Music, Derek Sivers writes, don't confuse the word marketing with advertising, announcing, spamming, or giving away branded crap. Really, marketing just means being considerate. Marketing means making it easy for people to notice you, relate to you, remember you, and tell their friends about you. What Sivers is describing here is the most honest form of marketing, informing people without manipulating or bothering them. At its ethical zenith, marketing considers the needs and points of view of an audience and works hard to meet those needs by connecting the creators with consumers in an authentic way. In neutral terms, marketing is an unpaid endorsement often by the creator herself, communicated directly to an audience who's eager to learn more about the product or service. When done well, this is what Seth Godin describes as permission marketing, the privilege, not the right, but the privilege of delivering anticipated, personal, and relevant messages to people who actually want to get them. It is possible to engage in world-class marketing without spending a penny on advertising, true. Both advertising and marketing are forms of promotion. Both allow creators to present their goods and services to a group of people. And when executed poorly, even well-intentioned marketing can be overkill. Like advertisements, not all marketing messages are created equal. Hmm. I don't... uh, This feels like like a gotcha question. Am I saying that wrong? I would just look at it and say, this person doesn't understand what they mean by what, but what we mean by advertisements. Yeah. I don't want someone else to pay me in a way that takes away my ability to talk about things that I want to talk about, that restricts my speech. I think mm. that's part of it. Mm. But also, I don't want to clutter my creations with someone else's products and services. However, yeah. if we create something, be it a book, like one of our books like love people use things mm-hmm. or we have the minimalist private podcast these are things that we create or the minimalist rule book which is free you can download it for free on our website mm. these are products that we have created that we believe in that we enjoyed creating and we've built a trust with an audience so that and we've added value immense value to an audience so that when we create something mm. And we give them the option. We don't force it onto them. We don't try to manipulate them. But we present it to them and say, hey, look, look what we created. I think about some of my favorite creators, someone like Rob Bell. Anytime he writes a new book, not only do I want to get him on the podcast, but I pre-order that book immediately. And I would actually be insulted if he refused to tell people about his new creation, I would feel like he was depriving me of the thing that I want to read or listen to. And so, Mm -hmm. yes, please communicate it to me in a way that's not beating me over the head with it, Mm -hmm. but it's letting me know what you've got going on.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's a difference too between you using your platform that you created to let the people who choose to listen to you know about the things that you are creating. Mm -hmm. Right. There's a difference between that and saying I'm going to take a paycheck from somebody else to promote a product that they created that I may or may not believe in. And in exchange for that, I'm going to give them the rights to manage some aspect of my content thus affecting the experience for my audience. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between those two things and I think that's what you're getting at. But one one uh Angels Africa question I want to ask you. I love to hear both of you all answer this because I have heard this this take as well. You know, I accept these advertisements because I'm I'm for the people. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I want to be I want the people to be able to have it for free. <laughs> and so by accepting advertisements, mm-hmm. you know, and this big fat check that comes with it. By accepting <laughs> advertisements mm-hmm. cuz you do make way more Uh, on advertisements than what we make. But um, Mm -hmm. by accepting these advertisements, everybody can participate and I'm not discriminating. I'm making it universally available. What's your Mm -hmm. response to that?
2: Yeah, that's true. Um, Mm. You're making it universally available in in the same way that if I go to LACMA and they charge me $15 to get in. Mm -hmm. Now, would I prefer that experience? But every time I go to a painting, there's a 30-second ad in front of the painting. Or maybe they just paint a McDonald's logo or Burger King logo or a Me Undies logo on the painting itself.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Would I pref- which one would I prefer? And I think some people would say I would prefer to go this route. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't a moral stance that mm-hmm. we're taking here. I don't like advertisements. I never turn on a podcast and say, man, I wish this had more advertisements. Now, on episode 400 of this podcast, I am going to talk about, I finally found an advertisement that didn't, that I actually liked. I wouldn't say it didn't offend me. Most of them don't offend me. I just don't like them. The same way that I'm grossed out by oysters, I don't enjoy oysters. And so I don't eat them. And the same is true with podcasts. I have unsubscribed from so many podcasts and YouTube channels because they incorporate ads into their creations. Mm. I would much rather read a book like the book I'm going to talk about here on our added mm. value segment. Imagine if I got, could get this book for free, but every three pages, there was an advertisement in here, oh right? Gosh. I would strongly dislike that. Mm. Now, someone else might say, I like having that option. Wonderful. I like having the option of no ads. Yeah. Uh, first off, I asked about the gotcha question because I tend not to like
5: respond to these too much because it seems it just seems like a um, like a snarky thing it doesn't seem and that's why I was asking if I was interpreting it correctly but answering the question head on I love that you brought up the LACMA so the LACMA you can get in for free if you live in LA mm. um, really? Yep. Yeah, after uh, I think it's after four o'clock double, double check me on that okay. but if you live in I'll LA you can, get, you can get into LACMA for free but they also will have special exhibits sometimes and you got to pay a little extra money mm-hmm. to see the special exhibit uh, for whatever reason, whether it's them, you know, uh, having the resource to keep the LACMA open, to pay the artists of the special exhibit, like whatever the reasoning is, doesn't matter. Like there is an extra fee if you want to see the, um, the additional exhibit sometimes. So that's how I look at what we do with the private podcast. Mm-hmm. It's like we give so much away for free. Mm-hmm. And there is a um, special exhibit that uh, we have available each week. That for five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, whatever it is, you can uh, see that and, and listen to that special exhibit, that creation that we've gone way out of our way to create for you. And not only that, what I love about the the the, the, the Patreon audience we have, like they're invested, man. Mm-hmm. So, like, I this is from YouTube. This sounds like a YouTube comment. It Doesn't sound like uh, a, a one of our patrons commenting. That's right. Yeah, and and that's what I really like about that paywall too. Is it puts up this barrier not because we're money grubbing money grubbers? <laughs> is that is that grammatically correct, Josh and John? Anyway, um, it's because we are putting up a barrier because yes, we have to pay the bills, but also like we are inviting people who are really invested in us to one, like give them an opportunity to support us, which I cannot tell you how many paid Patreons I have signed up for just because of someone who's added a lot of value to my life. And I just, if I can give them five bucks a month and support them, like that is what I will 100% do. Um, so A, you're giving people an opportunity, but B, like you're really inviting them to a special community where everyone is just as invested as them into what we, what we do here.
1: Uh, I, as I bring this uh, segment to a close, Uh, I want to just point out one aspect that you guys don't really talk about a lot and that is um, you have way more money to make by opening the floodgates of advertising and you have a lot of people, some of whom are very close to you and influential in your life who want to have this conversation over and over again. And no matter what your stance Mm -hmm. is, you know that every quarter you're going to be sitting down with someone who's going to be like, let me see if I can sell it to you this time because the amount of money you would make would go through the roof compared to what you've been making if you accept advertisements. And so what this decision has really been has been a decision to say, hey, we want to create a certain kind of content. That's the privilege of being a creator. No one forces you to enter the creation business. Mm -hmm. You enter the creation business because you've got something that you want to express and the fundamental right you have as a creator is that decision. What art do I want to make? And the decision that you made is we want to make ad-free content And even though that comes with the risk of perhaps not being able to pay the bills, we're going to take the chance on an audience that will appreciate that. And we're going to ride or die with that. And if we don't make it, that's cool. But this is the kind of content we want to create. And so far it's worked. Shout out to the people that's helped it Mm -hmm. work. But that's the explanation. But guess what? That's just what we think. That's just what our distinction is. That's just what we mean when we use the words. But you don't have to think that way yourself. It's not a defense. It's not a mathematical proof proof. It's just an explanation of how we work and what this show is all about. And um, but it's it's okay to listen to a podcast and say, I don't like that you guys promote your stuff. It's fine. That's how you feel. That's that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like we talked about earlier. All the feelings are are welcome to discussions about different approaches we take.
2: Yeah, you could say, I don't like that you have guests on your podcast. Yeah. I don't like okay. that you answer questions on your podcast. Yeah. You're allowed to have your own preferences. And so I, and I honor and recognize those preference. Our preference is to be a hundred percent advertisement free. Dude, we got to be an honor with ourselves. Like how, how crappy, I mean, that's
5: for us, that's selling out. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of other ways we could sell it, but that's like the lowest hanging fruit and like waking up and not, not being an honor. That's one of the worst feelings in the world to me. Like Mm -hmm. when I wake up and I know that I'm doing something that morally I don't agree with, like there's no price you could put on me feeling in honor with myself. So yeah,
2: yeah I, you're, you're you're no longer integral, right? Yeah, y- meaning you are separate from the person that you want to be. Yeah,
5: it, yeah. I was just gonna uh, say on top of it, like I love, I love yeah. like being the example and like, hey, look, when you put money first, it's it is it's a very bad road to choose to go down if you're putting money first. And like, we're living that. And I hope people see that not because I want to be put on a pedestal because I hope it inspires them to be like, you know what? Sometimes like it, money needs always in the, always in the car, but sometimes like maybe you just put it in the back seat Cause
2: yeah. yeah. We don't pretend it doesn't exist either. Right? We don't of say course. it's last on the list. In fact, you know, we have a whole team of people here. We make sure that they get paid every single month. Mm-hmm. And as a result, one of the ways that we do that, the biggest way that we do that, is we have a private podcast that you can support. Patreon.com slash The minimalist. Wait, you guys are getting paid? <laughs> 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 oh, shoot. All right. <clears throat> All right, for our added value segment this week, I've got a book for you. This novel, uh, Jonathan Lethem wrote this novel called Chronic City. It takes place completely in New York City, uh, in Manhattan. And it is a beautiful, beautiful novel. I love I, that cover. Mm-hmm. It's, well, there's, a, there's a tiger and you can see his teeth are made up of the city itself. It's so good. There is a tiger in the novel. Ooh. He's sort of the MacGuffin that keeps the novel, the thread, uh, that keeps the novel, um, going, the plot moving forward. That's what a MacGuffin is? Well, a a MacGuffin is what keeps the plot moving forward. Okay. Yeah. Copy that. Anyway, I just turned to a random page. It's so beautifully written. I knew I could turn to a random page and just pick a paragraph and read a small excerpt so you can just see how beautiful this writing is. But the story itself is also entertaining. It's one of those books. It's so beautiful. I'd have to pause and go back and read a paragraph. Every line feels so deliberate. So here we go. A dust trampled path led downhill from the damaged fence into deeper brush, bladder swelling, hands chapping and cold. I was just ready to despair totally when Noteless's Fjord, they're at this exhibit, uh, Noteless's Fjord erupted into view at our feet. The chasm seemed to have been hewn out of the earth by unnatural force. The ground's lip curling suddenly downward, bringing with it shrubs and trees now turned horizontal to sprout from the fjord's walls. The artificial crevasse yawned at least 50 yards across. Come on. Get out of here. Yawned at least 50 yards across, perhaps a hundred, on the vertiginous cliffs dangled dozens of pairs of sneakers tied together at the laces, lodged on all sides in the branches and and scrub. Then I made out other stuff on the ridge at our feet, junk which, unlike the sneakers, had perhaps been intended to finish a journey into the earth's crawl but had fallen short. Children's toys, kitchenware, electronics, knotted plastic bags of unspecified treasure. I made out a tricycle and a large nude doll, a smashed stereo turntable, a power drill. I wondered whether the refuse was Noteless's flourish or the local community's spontaneous outpouring. In any event, the cascade of garbage was the only thing, quote, urban about this fjord since the city was entirely out of view
5: my god let me see this let me see if i can do this <laughs> all right you're just going to pick a pick a page yeah pick a page give me a number tk between 1 and uh, 400. 77. 77 oh 77 angel numbers only he said I says. Like it. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh this is the beginning of the second paragraph <clears throat> When Strabo opened a door, Perkis was disarmed utterly. The Romanian was so much younger than Perkis had imagined. And devastating in his calm. I mean... Devastating, devastating in, his in his calm. calm. Are you, are you kidding a me? cool yeah.
4: line.
3: What, what I
5: love about this is like th- devastating in his calm. It's three words. Yes. And I could write a whole paragraph
2: on those three words. Right. Or Or you could just say he was calm. Right. Yeah. But devastating in his calm... Hmm. This is what fiction does. And so if you want to read a uh, about a struggling relationship, if you want to read about friendships, if you want to read about a city, you don't turn to a psychology book for that. You can turn to a psychology book for other reasons. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of valid reasons to do that. But if you want to learn about the interior life of what it means to be a human being, that's why I turn to fiction.
1: Wow. Can you humor me for just 45 seconds, man? Uh, what might devastating in his calm mean or conjure for you?
2: Yeah, yeah. So what a great question. And I feel like by answering, I might even ruin it for someone else, mm-hmm. right? Because devastating in his calm is uh, what what conjures to me is an image of like the, the monk in perfect stillness. Mm-hmm. And when you see that, it's like, it's earth shattering because it's like, we're so fast moving, go, 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 go. That to be stopped with stillness mm. can be devastating. Yeah, it's,
5: de- it's devastating because A, it's so jarring because it's so different, which makes you think something might be up. And then the other thing for me, it conjures up like me holding up a mirror to myself and um, yeah, asking myself like, how come I can't be this commonly?
2: Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's devastating because it forces you to yes. confront that part of your interior life. It, 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 it forces you
5: to um, confront some type of discomfort.
2: Yes. yeah, And that's why about 90% of what I read is fiction. Mm. Because I'm not looking for prescriptions or how-tos. I'm looking to see what it means to be a human being. And here are these different interpretations of what it means to be a human being. And we see that through the brokenness of mm. these characters. If you have a book with all the characters and they're perfect and they're living the happy life, you better know it's some dystopian future in which something crazy is going to happen. Otherwise, it's the most boring novel you've ever had to read. Yeah, What we enjoy about other people, is their triumphs after a challenge, after a failure, after going through some sort of devastating experience that makes them who they are. It brings out their humanity, amplifies or highlights their humanity in a way that a a psychology book just can't do. Yeah. Mm. The book is by Jonathan Lethem. It's called Chronic City. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. By the way, I'm so glad that I read it. I just found it. I was doing one of the book battles at Bart's Books up in Ojai. Mm. Found it on a shelf there. Read the first line. I said, I'm in. I'm going to read this. And I'm glad I didn't. And afterward, I wanted to dive in more. I fell in love with the characters, Mm. all these beautiful people. And I went online and so many people trashed it, the book. Because apparently it was so different from Jonathan's previous books. And so what do we do? We build an expectation about he should keep writing this. Mm. It's like when... the person makes the same album over and over and over but Bob Dylan was like no I'm electric now right Mm -hmm. if you want to listen to my last album go listen to my last album I'm not going to make the same album again Mm -hmm. ooh what a beautiful book yeah and it's it's funny because like any artist out there listening to this
5: like the lesson in that is like it's not about what you like it's about what I like yes and there's nothing wrong
2: with that Yeah. yeah Chronic City is the name of the book, Jonathan Leatham. We'll put a link to it in the show notes, theminimalists.com slash podcast. That is our maximal episode for today. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, TK Coleman, Malabama, Podcast Sean, Jordan O'Moore, Professor Sean, Danny Unknown, Post Production Peter, and the rest of our team, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message, please let it be this Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Peace.
0: Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing
1: that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it.